you can receive a lot from a podcast. You can receive a lot from a book, but to viscerally experience that for yourself is a completely different experience. You know, watching football on a TV versus going to the stadium or standing on the field, three different experiences. Playing the game, completely different. Completely different. And that's, that's I guess, what, what some of these psychedelic experiences can offer with the right set and setting, the right amount of reverence, intention, and the right people guiding you through that experience. No question. I'm Luke Story. For the past 22 years, I've been relentlessly committed to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of spirituality, health, psychology, and personal development. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This podcast would not be possible without our friends over at Just Thrive Health. And they've been with the show for quite a while now and one of the sponsors that I feel most grateful and proud to support and present to you. In so doing, I rarely like to clown on competitive products. It's not really my style to say, oh, this brand is the best and the rest of them suck. But I must be honest, uh, as someone who's tried to fix my gut (laughs) in numerous ways, especially with a lot of very expensive probiotics over the years, I have to say that most probiotics I've ever tried were a complete waste of time, energy, and money, with the exception of the Just Thrive probiotic. What makes Just Thrive probiotics so special is that they're spore-based, and this allows them to survive the treacherous journey into your GI tract where they can make themselves at home and do what they're supposed to do. And for this reason, it's a really unique and incredible product. It's also something kids at just about any age can take. Parents can sprinkle it into the food or drinks of little ones. It can also be baked or fried up to 455 degrees and still retain 100% potency. Isn't that crazy? It's also ideal for pregnant moms to be to support a healthy microbiome for themselves and their babies. You know, newborns get their first big dose of microbes at birth while traveling through the birth canal. It also contains a very special strain of bacteria that can maintain its effectiveness when taken with antibiotics. Now talk about crazy awesome. You know, that's one of the issues when you're taking antibiotics, if you're in a position to have to do so, is that they're going to ultimately uh, cause some dysbiosis, to say the least. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it politely there. So I'm one, again, who wasted so much money trying to take probiotics during a cycle of antibiotics, which is probably futile. However, it's not with just Thrive spore-based probiotics. So if you want to check this out, I highly recommend that you do. So if you want to get your hands on some of these Just Thrive probiotics, here's what you do. Go to justthrivehealth.com slash Luke. That's justthrivehealth.com slash Luke. And of course, we've got a discount for you. It's 15%. And the code there is Luke15 at JustThriveHealth.com. If you're anything like me, after a very tumultuous 2020, you might have thought, you know what, maybe things will kind of smooth out in 2021. And uh, at the time of this recording, it's safe to say that they have not. So... Uh, Knowing that we can't control the world, one thing we can control, at least to some degree, is our experience of the world. So I'm a huge fan of any products I can find that help me relax, calm down, stay in my body. And I found one that works really well for that. It's called Bee Chill from Beekeepers Natural. So Bee Chill is made with honey and hemp to help mellow you out. Now, hemp, of course, is famous to help you unwind. And raw honey supports restorative sleep. 
So unlike other relaxation alternatives, you can rest better knowing that there are no wax side effects or toxic hidden ingredients. Another great thing about Be Chill is that if you take it at night, it's going to improve sleep and help you relax without you feeling groggy the next day. I know personally, sometimes I take such a powerful homemade crazy ass sleep sack at night that I can't wake up the next morning. I feel like I'm in a freaking coma. That's not going to be the case with Be Chill. It's completely non-psychoactive and contains 0% THC. So if you don't want to accidentally get stoned, you don't have to worry about that, drug test, etc. So you can enjoy Be Chill anytime, anywhere without breaking any laws or accidentally getting faded in the process. So if you're ready to upgrade, reset, and jumpstart the New Year's resolutions in a mellow way, check out the Beekeepers Naturals Be Chill. Here's the website, beekeepersnaturals.com slash lukestory. That's B-E-E-K-E-E. P-E-R-S-N-A-T-U-R-A-L-S, beekeepersnaturals.com slash Luke Story. And if you use that URL, you're going to save 15% off your order. Well, my friend, you just won the podcast episode lottery. This is Bad Trips and Psychic Flips, round and round on the medicine wheel with my friend Kyle Kingsbury, episode 334. We recorded this conversation in lovely Austin, Texas, which incidentally will be my home by the time this episode airs. And for that, I'm extremely grateful. Kyle's been on the show before, and I've had the privilege of being on his podcast as well in the past. And he's just one of my favorite people and a true kindred spirit, man, just a a cosmonaut and self-improvement junkie of the highest order. This is a deep and profoundly funny conversation and one that has plenty to offer people from all walks of life. This is a long conversation, but that said, I encourage you to stay through to the end because that's when Kyle gets into some of the most insane stories about plant medicines and what can go right and wrong uh, within that space. Here's just a taste of some of the other topics we cover in this chat. Lessons in conscious parenting, reincarnation in our family tree, our interrelationship with all the earlier versions of ourselves, how parenting can enable the parent to heal their own childhood wounds, the power of the Native American spirit wheel in the four directions, how to integrate our spiritual awakening into real 3D life, the importance of Dr. David Hawkins' map of consciousness, the gift of the human ego and why we need it, the householder role of the spiritual aspirant, what Kyle learned from taking 30 grams of mushrooms and how he met his son's soul during the journey, the immortality key in the story of psychedelics in early Christianity, the history of witch burning to snuff out the light of medicine women in the not-so-distant past, Kyle's recent and very harrowing 5-MeO-DMT experience with the Sonoran Desert Toad and how he got stuck in the journey in the most terrifying of ways. And finally, how he used deep surrender and the guidance of Paul Check to make it through a hellish 16-day dark night of the soul. And lastly, Kyle offers some words of wisdom and discernment for aspiring cosmonauts like himself. Enjoy this most wild ride, and by all means, share it with a friend. Kyle Kingsbury, here we are back on The Lifestyles. Welcome to the show, dude. Hell yeah, brother. Thank you for having me. So good to see you. I'm sure you have this happen as a podcaster uh, where you, you know someone you're interviewing and you start to catch up with them before the podcast and some magic ensues and you go to some pretty deep water with no <laughs> mics on. Today was one of those days you come in where we you know, want to catch up, build some rapport, get warmed up before the, the main event. And uh, 
the whole time we're outside talking, I'm like, oh man, this would be gold to record. I was thinking it the whole time. You were? Because <laughs> then you, you don't want to reenact it in an artificial way because that moment was that moment and things were said and felt that were inherent to the now that was that now. So yeah, I'm just going to allow this conversation to go. But I'm like, ooh, there was some nugs in there. So uh, lots happened since we last talked. You have a new baby. Mm-hmm. She'll be six months, January 4th. Wow. Yeah. Right around the corner. This is well, your... in the past tense when you're listening to this on the podcast, but yeah. Yes. And then you already had one. Yep. He's five now and okay. just a fucking ball of energy. Yeah, I can imagine. It, you know what really helped me with that? Because he doesn't listen at all. And I'm like, is he learning this at school? What's going on? And you know, it's like school is a double-edged sword because he's gift. We have this time to actually have space where we can focus on Wolf and work and all the other things that need to get done and, and not just be the bear show or any five-year-old show for that matter. Because I want to be fully invested when I'm around with them, you know? But then, uh, you know, they pick up new stuff when they're at school and they come home and you know, you're stupid, you're stupid, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, oh my God, uh, we've never said that once in our house. Are you, where'd you learn that? You know, and it's like from the other kids at the school kind of thing. And um, his school is dope, you know, but it's, uh, it's always, there's, there's always work, you know, it's like never ending work with kids. And, and I was talking to Anahata about this, our friend out in Sedona. And she's like, you know, I have twins, a boy and a girl that are in their early twenties. And I've talking to my son now about, you know, the reality behind social justice and a lot of the shit he's facing in college, you know? So it's like, it's still never ending in their fucking twenties. Like right. they're out of the house. She's an empty nester and her role as mom is still ongoing, you know? And uh, one thing that helped me was I called my mom around Christmas and I was like, I have memories of being disciplined as a kid, quite a few of them. Generally, that happens after some sort of misbehavior. I was like, did I not listen or did I, you know, and she's like, oh, honey, you never listened ever. And I was wow. like, fuck. All right. And that just took like all the weight off my shoulders because I was like, cool. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a chip off the old block. The apple didn't fall <laughs> far at all. And I know my dad was the same way you know, talking to his parents about it and like, oh, Rick never listened, you know, like he, he never listened, you know, like they just go on and on about it. You know, I just give him like one little crack in the doorway and Nana kicks it open and can't wait to tell me all the stories about how my dad wouldn't listen. So it's, it's, it's cool in that way. It's alleviating in some ways and it allows me to, to really take a step back as the observer. And, and it's, it's, there's so many things that are paradoxical and, and I'm sure as we dip into the medicine space, that'll be part of, part of one of the deepest lessons that I've learned recently is that at the ultimate level, God is nothing but paradox, you know? And that's why the Tao cannot be named because the second you name it, the inverse is true as well. And, um, <laughs> which is just a total mind fuck, you know? <laughs> but uh, thinking about that with our kids, like oh, in, in the spacelessness of unity consciousness, where there, it is boundaryless, which we've both experienced recently with the Snoring Desert Toad, 5-MeO-DMT, when I have a self or a small self or however you want to, when, I, when, they're, when I'm in the form of Kyle Kingsbury, there are fucking clear boundaries. If I don't adhere to those and I run a red light, I can get smashed, right? If I jump off a cliff, the, I will meet the rock that is appearing to be separate from me and it will crush the, the, the Kyle Kingsbury, right? Um, and boundaries are completely necessary with kids. It's one of the first things they learn is spatial awareness. What is me? What is you? How am I different from mom? Um, I forget who was talking about it. Some, some people say like kids can't really differentiate themselves from mother for a while after they're born. They still think of themselves as the same being, you know? 
And that's, that's a really cool thing to think like, wow, they have a completely different body and, you know, I can hold them. Someone else can hold them, but they still think they're, they're, you know, and who knows if that's fucking true. It's not like anybody can ask them that, but that concept is kind of cool to, to, to think about. So there's been a lot of seemingly uh, an infinite level of downloads recently uh, from the plant medicine space, from my own self um, looking inward and from my own self looking outward, you know, no further than my family, my son, our newborn. Um, and then of course the world at large, which is, uh, <laughs> I'm sure we'll talk about as well. Yeah. You know, about the newborns running the world, um, <clears throat> the newborns from the gates of hell. <laughs> it's interesting talking about your boy and, you know, not having had kids myself, but being very curious about the evolution of souls in each lifetime and how one chooses to incarnate, of course, in a certain set of circumstances, but then is also choosing an inherent personality type, right? So, you know, based on your karmic inheritance and I guess your spiritual will, you're going to pop in as a rambunctious kid, a shy kid or whatever kind of kid, right? You're going to have a flavor to your personality. But no matter what your flavor is, there's going to be stages built into the natural progression of your maturity at which you push away from those who love and protect you. And that's super obvious around 13, 14, when we really differentiate and like no matter... In many cases, no matter how cool our parents are, we're like, you're not cool anymore. <laughs> F you, I don't want to hug, right? And then, yeah. you know, to the furthest extreme of rebellion. But it sounds like your son is maybe coming out of that unity space with mommy or you and mommy and is going like, you're stupid. I'm my own person, Yeah, right? So I think from a patient's perspective, it's probably good for parents to have a really zoomed out point of view like you've managed to build for yourself so that it becomes less personal. Yeah, Ramdas talked about that, the soul pod. You know, we travel together in pods. And of course, this is on the assumption of reincarnation, which I'm sure most of your listeners are cool with. Uh, it's certainly something that I've come to understand through plant medicines and, and know uh, viscerally. But the, the, the idea that we not only select our parents as the best trajectory, and then we've quite, quite likely had some relationship with them in previous lifetimes. Maybe my mom was my cousin or my sister or my daughter or whatever. Um, not even looking into it into that depth, but the idea that if we choose our parents to give us the best opportunity for our soul to learn on its path, that we're not only selecting it for us, but we're selecting it for them. Ooh, you know, that, that wow. our, our kids are truly the guru in disguise. They're our teachers. And the lessons that I can learn from Bear and learn from Wolf are just as much for me as it is for them. Right. And that, that's a big one too. You know, and uh, Dr. Will Tegel, who lives out in Wimberley, you'll get to meet him while you're here. Brilliant guy. He wrote the book, Walking with Bears, uh, PhD in psychology, PhD in physics, and also a medicine man who's worked with native elders for decades. Wow. He's 80 now. And he talked about that. Uh, I think it was Jung, but this idea that every self we have from the five-year-old Kyle to the 20-year-old to the 39-year-old, whatever, they're all existing in one right now. And you can't change the past, but we can change our perspective on the past. We know this is true through plant medicine experiences. But one of the ways we rewrite that is, and we can bring healing to the, to the inner child, if that's like a, not too woo-woo for fucking some people, is, is <laughs> I this resisted idea. that one for a couple decades and finally I was like, all right, he's in there. Well, and part of it, part of it too is like we get caught up in that, right? And there's, a, right. there's a, a Native American spirit wheel analogy that I'll get to in a second if I remember Native American spirit will. But back to this small self, uh, the wounded child archetype, 
we get to interact with that every time we parent at that particular age. So if some shit happened to me when I was five, I'm going to see that mirrored to me in my son. And when the opportunity is there for him to not listen, how I respond not only matters for him, it matters for the small self that lives within me. Whoa. So when I have this opportunity to parent differently, um, I mean, it's it funny because I was talking about, you know, you're stupid, you're stupid. Uh, I wouldn't let him, I had to create boundaries and wasn't going to let him get out of bed a third time to go downstairs and fight going to sleep like he does. So I just put my ass in front of his door and I said, sorry, he doesn't have locks. I'm like, sorry, buddy, we're not going downstairs anymore. We've already been to the bathroom. It's bedtime. And he lost it and started whooping my ass and saying, yelling, you're stupid, you're stupid while he's beating me. And I was like, oh, I man. had this shit happen from, my dad didn't punch me, but I mean, like, you know, I, I got disciplined pretty hard from the old man and now from my son. And I'm like, why the fuck would I sign up for this? <laughs> like, when's going to be my time? Like, what is this? You know, and it was just so funny. And then in hindsight, I was like, oh, there was my opportunity. And I fucking did it. I did the thing, right? I'm 220 pounds. I can fucking take it. You know, my son, he's strong, but for a five-year-old, he's strong, right? So like, can I take that for sure? And was that better than whooping his ass? I don't know. I never hit my dad. There's benefits to the way he raised me, you know? And that's like, again, these super odd paradoxes that we come to learn only through the experience of that. You know, like, well, shit, as a dad, if I don't want a son that acts this way, there's a route to make that happen, right? But I didn't like that route. So let me change that, you know? And then, oh man, I don't like what ha what's happening with him now, you know? So again, like this, this never-ending infinite loop of what is the best way? And then, you know, the ultimate realization, there's no fucking such thing as the best way, right? It simply is. And, and what's being called to me right now is what I'm going to try. And as long as I'm playing the game, then I'm doing it right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's really, really interesting from that perspective of like Russian dolls come to mind, right? And we're the outer shell of this Russian doll. That's a pretty good analogy. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, spirit of intelligence. Uh, but we're this Russian doll as an adult, 220 Kyle Kingsbury, right? But within all the layers of that are however many years old you are, let's say, like the, you know, the, the, the rings on a tree of sorts, that even though we see ourselves as this, 50-year-old Luke, 185 on a good day. Also within that are all those other layers of skin or all those other rings on a tree, right? So that little innocent three, four-year-old Lukey is still in there, as is the traumatized five and six-year-old and the on and on and on and on, right? And I think it's really wise to uh, embrace the reality that all of those experiences are all those levels of your maturity and growth are all still present in there. And that was a really hard one for me to, to grasp because I think, um, you know, being in a lot of uh, self-help stuff in the eighties and nineties, the inner child stuff was really big <laughs> and you know, there's trends and all this stuff, the power of now, there was a trend of nowness and they're all beautiful trends. But I remember being kind of like, ah, eh. like it just sounded kind of weak. Mm -hmm. To me, especially, I guess, the breaking through the barrier of machismo and perceived well, essence of masculinity. inundation of don't be a pussy, suck it up. You know, like yeah, that, yeah. That you're going against a bigger narrative than just how you view yourself. It's the, that's what we're taught. It's the ultimate program of yeah. man, manness. You know? Exactly. So to be a man and be like, oh, my inner child, it just felt like weak or fake. But having had the experience of 
interacting with that self that's still within, it's very much real. And there's so much healing in getting to know that little guy. And for me, I think it was at Soltara in, in um, some ayahuasca ceremonies that this really became present or activated, but it was uh, communicating to that little boy that there's an adult in the room now and relieving the egoic fear protective self and the analytical mind of the responsibility that it took over in trying to protect that little boy mm. and saying, yo, there's a higher self warrior in the room now. I've got you. And I'm sorry for what I've allowed you to be put through. There's a responsibility of capital S self in, in that state of protection of that little boy. And there's so many different threads of that that I've experienced where it's like, whoa, it's a much deeper level of that. So I can only imagine when you have a reflection of consciousness in a kid, that's then like you're adding so many layers of complexity to that dance, right? Yeah. And it's, it's, it's almost easier in a way because I don't have to search for it, right? Like life presents you with the things. So right. many people get caught up in the what am I going to do next? Or, you know, when, when's this thing going to happen? And I'm really, you know, call, I've been calling this in and I've surrendered it. When the fuck is it going to go down? You know? And it's like, well, all at the same time, life presents itself to you, right? Like it's always in front of you. And if you haven't had enough shit, don't worry. It's right around the corner. You know, like there's, there's always going to be something to learn from. Uh, you brought up a really good point that I, that I wanted to mention in this Native American spirit whale on the innocent child, something I learned from Tim Corcoran out at, at Fit for Service, who you know studied with Gilbert Walking Bull. He lived with the Navajo. Great guy. He looks kind of like Ned Flanders, but he's fucking awesome. And um, <laughs> you know he's done probably a dozen traditional vision quests. No food, no water for four days. Super tapped in guy. And uh, you know, I mean, there's thousands of Native American spirit whales, but one of the ones he gravitates towards is this idea of you know each direction and the four directions. Uh, pairs with a season, it pairs with different spirit animals, and it spare, pairs with a theme. And, um, you know, the north would be the winter rest and responsibility. So that's where you have your job, your parenting, all any of the, that stuff. The east, new beginnings, springtime, planting seeds, what it is that you're calling in in your life. The south is play, and that's the childlike innocence, and it's the love of the body. And then the west, that's the shadow work, that's the fall. That's where we dig in and, and do some healing and work on some of the shit we don't want to look at, right? But he said, you know, people get so caught up in one particular aspect, and it's just as simple as taking a quarter turn to the right. You know, just move counterclockwise or just move clockwise on that wheel. So for people, you know, they're listening to this, that are like, oh God, there's just so much to do. I can't stop doing these ceremonies and everything I uncover, I see that there's more to be done. And it's like every single lens in which we draw our attention and focus to is an infinite wellspring. That rabbit hole goes on for eternity. So if you're feeling out of balance or like you've been doing healing work for 10 years, it's time to switch gears to a different season and see what you've been leaving out, right? So if you're stuck in the West healing the wounded child, maybe it's time to circle back around to the South and play because that innocent child still lives within you the three or four-year-old pre-trauma that just looked at the world in awe and curiosity, that exists within all of us as well. And it's hard to relearn that sometimes Ooh, to reconnect good. that dot, right? That's good. But yeah. that guy's always there too. 
right? So whatever that is, whether it's trying a new instrument and sucking at it, or, you know, uh, it's really easy for me because, I mean, all I have to do is act like a complete ass clown to Wolf and she starts laughing, you know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she'll just start giggling. And it's like, no, but you can't help but feel joy when a five-month-old laughs at you, you know? So like, there's, there's very easy hacks for me, um, but they're there for all of us, you know, whether it's putting on like your favorite dance song or singing to your partner in a sh- silly voice or watching, you know, an old comedy like Step Brothers that makes you laugh on a little bit of ketamine, like whatever the fucking joy is, <laughs> you know, like yeah. you can tap into that. You can choose that and you don't live there either, right? There's plenty of people like Jimmy Wheel talks about this, getting caught in the loop of ecstasis where you're, you're on the couch until the next ecstatic dance or until the next Burning Man or the next festival or the next whatever, you know? And it's like, that's, you're not really playing the game there either, right? Like you, we signed up to come here to interact within the game, within the matrix. And um, that's been one of the biggest downloads I've received in my whole fucking life recently is just to understand that uh, we created this and we're here to play in it. You know, and um, something Emily Fletcher, I'm going to get long-winded here. I'll, I'll break no, in a second, great. but it's all good, dude. Emily Fletcher, she created Ziva Meditation, which um, is brilliant. Uh, I had her on the podcast. Her lineage studied goes back 6,000 years in India. So when she went to study from her teacher, she flew into Delhi or something like that, took a train to Rishikesh. And then like a little buggy up the mountain to the Himalayan mountains where she met. And I'm like, oh shit, this is like Dr. Strange, you know? And so she gets up there and 6,000 years, this lineage has been held. And it was created for um, the householders, you know? Like, like it's a different meditation style when you're a monk. If you're yeah. just going to sit and hold resonance all day long, yeah, you got to fucking, it's a totally different style. But for householders, for the doers that are in the game, a different style, right? And you know, I'm explaining her meditation style, which I hope you can dive into. Yeah, we've and we've had her on. She's a, she's brilliant. Right? And we've had a few shows on Vedic meditation in yeah. particular. Yeah, yeah. For those for those listening, we'll put it in the show notes. And and Vedic comes from a lineage that also spurned the TM movement. Same, okay, very cool. same practice, mm-hmm. just different sort of organizational principles. Whereas TM became sort of more commercialized. God bless it. I'm sure it's helped a lot of people. Vedic is more based on the individual teacher carrying the lineage and that kind of thing. But there's not like an organizing, uh, you know, curriculum in the mm. Vedic world. It's sort of like Tom Knowles is one of the top guys and, you know, Emily and Jeff Kober and different people. Anyway, for context, but... I like that context. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Had some people ask me like, isn't it just like TM? And I'm like, yeah, you know, yeah. I think it is because there's a mantra, but it's, it is... It very, is like it the, the financial structure of it is different in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and again, it's just rogue Vedic teachers versus an organizing umbrella in TM where there's... Much That's cool. So it'd be like the organization of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu versus all the other forms. <laughs> Probably something like that, yeah. <laughs> but, but to your point, this, this is a really, really important point because I think so many spiritual aspirants, when they feel called to begin their healing process or their awakening process, think that, well, when I get to a certain point, then I am going to be the monk and sit in the cave and meditate 12 hours a day for all of humanity and all galaxies and universes, right? Whereas some of us seem to uh, be given the grace and uh, the karmic inheritance of going to those realms from time to time, whether assisted with the medicine or just through years of dedicated something like Vedic meditation. 
But the temptation there is to withdraw and think that the, the way of the renunciate is the only way to be effective and to raise consciousness. Whereas what you're bringing to the table is the householder point of view as, yeah, we're going to go into those realms but we're not going to stay there. We're going to go to those realms to see how we can integrate as much of that realm as possible into our 3D mission as householder, someone who you know goes and works at the bank, comes home, changes diapers, washes the dishes, does the things, right? Mow yeah. the lawn. How can you do that with that same degree of presence and, and consciousness, right? Without having to just let go of everything. Because I always thought for me, eventually I'm going to pull a you know, a David Hawkins or a Ram Dass and just let go of all earthly things and kind of float off into the ethers once I'm enlightened. And, and perhaps that might happen. And if it does, okay. But it seems to be, at least for this portion of the journey, <laughs> that I'm here to just stay firmly grounded in this body and carry my work forward uh, in, in, in more of that way. Yeah. And it's the difference between being a doer versus an observer. Right. And Hawkins is brilliant. Power versus force. I forget the other one that they released after he died. I was looking at that. Uh, uh, um, letting go the pathway of surrender. Not that one. That one's phenomenal too. But his last one, uh, I think his wife released it for him, but it's like the map of consciousness or something like that. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. And it really dives into this at the, at the you know, and, and it's brilliant. Absolutely. He was fucking brilliant. And he talks about whatever our baseline emotion is, for those that haven't read any of his work, his baseline emotion that we carry throughout the day, we're still going to experience all the emotions. It's not like an angry person is always angry. Sometimes there's a flash of happiness or a laugh that comes out or an orgasm. But if you're carrying anger as your, your main emotion, your God view will mirror that. God is a vengeful, angry God. And up the ladder it goes and down the ladder to shame and guilt, right? So all the way up the ladder to enlightenment at the highest frequency the God view is. God is. There is no, there's nothing after that. It simply is. All that is, is as it is. There's no layer of, of coloring. There's no other adjective. There's no description. God is. Well, that's very cool. And that's, I've experienced that sometimes in unity consciousness. But that is the monk. That is the observer. You cannot operate in the realm of, I have a self in that space. It's like the idea that you'll dissolve your ego fully. It's like, no, you don't know how to fucking drive a car without, what do you think learned how to drive? What do you think adheres to the rules of peeing in a toilet or wiping your ass? That's all ego. Ego ties the shoes. Ego pays the fucking bills on time. Like you might dissolve it temporarily. <laughs> yeah. And that's really cool. But that thing is there for a reason, right? Yeah. And the idea is that that becomes the passenger in the car, not the driver of the car, right? But to say you're kicking it out of the car, you don't understand the importance of it. You don't understand how it's making, it's what's fucking speaking right now. Hopefully I'm still connected and getting little trinkets from the high self as I communicate right now. But it's impossible in 3D reality to have a self, to have a Kyle Kingsbury without that thing. So this, this idea and whoever is teaching that from the fucking guru to the guy who wrote the book that says you can come to a place where there's a full merging. It's like, mm, if you were to remain an observer, the second you have preference, that's the ego. And that's, oh, fuck it. that's totally okay, right? That's totally okay. It's beyond okay because just like we choose our parents and choose our kids and our kids choose us and all those other things, we chose to be doers. We chose to be householders. We chose to play the game a certain way. 
And it doesn't mean we won't learn and redirect that and that the, the high self or the daemon won't redirect us when we're off course and we need course correction. But it's to be in the game. It's not to observe the game. We can do that from unity consciousness, right? We elected to come here in this timeline on earth to be a part of the game. And that's, that's something that's really helped me to re- remember and understand, you know, in the, the sea of <laughs> chaos that is the world right now. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. yeah, we signed up for this. This is dope. This is really good because there was a period, especially when I first got sober, well, maybe five years in or so, because um, I don't think I was, I was ready to go this far, but there, there is a point at which uh, you start to identify that the ego has been running the show, has been in the driver's seat. And so the basic math on that, when you realize, okay, the ego and the misguided intellect that's sort of tied into the ego and all the survival instincts and that lower base animal nature, that's been running me, ran me almost to death. And, you know, my case is a little more extreme than some others. Maybe it's just, it ran me into a divorce or losing my business or, you know, chronic depression, suicide, suicidal thoughts, whatever. For me, it was like, whoa, I'm getting close to the edge of the waterfall here. I got to reel this shit back sorted that out and then came to see how all of that sort of other self or, or false identity had been driving me to the point of destruction. Therefore, the solution must be just full enlightenment and negating and denial of all that, that we have to kill the ego, get rid of the ego, smash the ego, especially in recovery circles, because like alcoholics and addicts are so goddamn arrogant and so enveloped in ego that they can be knocking on death's door and be like, screw you, you can't change me, man. You know, it's like someone's trying to save your life and you're like, you're a loser. I'm going to do my thing, rock and roll. Uh, we're just such idiots in that way. I'm myself firmly included um, in the beginning at least. So then you learn what ego is and it's been running you and you start to build the witness observer through meditation and spiritual practices and in the early stages is like, I got to get rid of this ego thing. But it's such a great point that you bring up that when that happens, then you're not here anymore. There's no longer you because what would be the point of being in a body? And that I think is the wisdom of the ages with saints and sages and avatars that have become embodied. I think of so many of them in India and there's um, all of these legends and I'm assuming some of them are true where when a a sage or mystic reaches a certain point of consciousness that their body basically just dissolves back into the fabric of consciousness, right? The particle becomes wave again because it's pointless to be here. We've transcended. But if I'm still here, 100% solid as hell, well, then I just keep doing the boots on the ground householder work, which maybe, and I'm going to get your perspective of this, maybe the work as volunteering for this incarnation and this householder uh, message carrier, truth teller, healer of self, healer of other. Perhaps the game then is that ballet dance of consciousness where we can have these mystical experiences and these high states of consciousness that would render us dysfunctional if we were in that state all the time and you'd need a handler and a driver and maybe could barely stay in your body. Maybe it's taking as much of that awareness and consciousness into waking state, into body, and learning how to be both in balance, right? Because my personality is here. My ego is right here talking to you. I want to sound, there's part of me that wants to sound smart on the podcast. I don't want to talk too much. Then I'm afraid I'm going to sound like a dick because I'm overshadowing the guest and all these little intricacies of self-protection and grandiosity and all those things. 
But man, I know, and I mean capital K, that there is a God-connected self in my heart and in my spirit right now that is so merged with you and so merged with God. And I'm completely cognizant of it and also acting from that and in that. You know, you see today I'm doing this with my hands a lot. It's like, because that's the space I'm in. I'm in integration right now. And it's like, whoa, it's almost easy to leave this in a second. It's like, ooh, shit, there it is. There's that medicine. There's, there's that more fluid consciousness. But I can't drive around like that. Yeah. <laughs> or remember what we're talking about. Or if one of the cameras goes down, like there's still got to be an adult in the room, so to speak, um, or a teenager, I guess I was just describing perhaps the adult. So I don't know if there's a question in that, but <laughs> it seems to me right now this week that that's the dance is like, ooh, God, how much of this sweetness and this grace can I carry and embody and also be completely willing to be 3D and do the thing? Like right now I'm you know, looking for a home here in Austin. And there's, you know, documents I have to give to the thing and the things and super 3D, like could be stressful. Um, but I'm bringing in a pretty high degree of ballet into that process. And, in in you know, seeing the attachment come, you find one you like, attach, 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 surrender, uh, attach the next one. Surrender. You know, it's like really, really a dance right now. And it's, it's fun. That's it's part fun. of the integration is the, the learning that or remembering of that, right? Of that dance. And it's uh, the same thing for me, you know, like in the, in the podcast game today, I really, I just podcast with Rob Wolf yesterday, wanted to get it out uh, tomorrow. And my guy who does productions out in Bali, great dude, but he's gearing up for New Year's Eve. And I want to let him have a fucking dope New Year's Eve. It's not like I'm going to be, I don't even, so I said, I want to let him, <laughs> <laughs> he's going to have a dope New Year's <laughs> Eve, whether the podcast goes out or not. Right. And uh, in part it's because of my lack of structure, not getting this any sooner but I didn't get my ads and I thought I had the ad reads in the folder. They weren't there. And uh, I go to record them because I got to get them out like 6 a.m. this morning because of the time difference. And I'm sitting there and I'm motherfucking everybody. I'm thinking through this and I'm like writing my, my sponsor guy. And I'm like, dude, you said they're in the folder. They're not fucking there. You know? And then and I was like, oh, or I don't put it out this week. Who fucking cares? You know, it was like that fucking quick, you know, yeah. and it's like, yeah, I'm leaving money on the table. Big fucking deal. Yeah. You know, and, and, and yes, there's a certain degree of privilege to be able to do that. No question. Um, if my back was against the wall, perhaps I would have had my a bit more structure and I wouldn't be face be talking about this right now. But my back's not against the wall. So I can just let that go. You know, but it's it's how much time do I spend? How much time do I want to spend and choose to spend in the space of panic, chaos, holy shit, this is going wrong. I don't want this to happen. Aversion versus collapsing that and remembering like, oh yeah, of course it doesn't matter. You know, have a fucking great New Year's Eve. We'll get it out next week. You know, like it's just yeah. that. So it's, it's, it's to me, part of the integration of these teachings is to understand that A, I'm not going to be perfect at any point in human form, but B, Getting better, which is part of the infinite game, is going to be me collapsing the amount of time I spend in clinging or aversion in the form of suffering and what I view to be chaos and recognizing that sooner. So it's that much quicker to flip a switch and just release into that and say, oh, cool. This is what I can control. This is what I can't control. I understand it now. And then that's how I move forward. Yeah, that's really good. So it's like, 
keeping the awareness of the infinite, right? And being in, in the ethers and using that, it's kind of like using that awareness as your superpower so that you can still be in the 3D doing the things. And when you start to fall, like maybe even below a level of consciousness, going back to the Hawkins map, right? I'm driving in traffic and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I'm in anger. I'm pissed at this guy. Or like, he has a nicer car or we're late. Uh, they're going to be pissed. You know, like when that starts to pop in because there's that higher awareness that's been more ingrained and more, it's like a well-worn boot, right? That in that moment, we have more agency to flip the script and just go, nope, nope not going down that path rather than trying to negate that path altogether that like, oh, I'm a bad, you know, I'm an, I haven't grown spiritually if I get pissed off or have an argument with someone or have evil thoughts about George Soros or whatever. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. I think it was Bill Gates that time. But I think that's a really, it's a sweet spot. It, it's really fun, I think, to be in that, you know, and in that is that forgiveness when we do really revert back to some old patterns of thinking and behaving because man, there's a lot of um, it's a slippery slope of perfectionism. Once start once one starts to make some spiritual progress, then you you know it's, you you seem like when you're in that high place, it's as if there's no way I could go back to the old me. I'm not that person anymore. Well, there is a part of me that still can go back there if I don't have that like nip it in the bud kind of. Um, you know, in the 12 steps, they have a step 10, continue to take personal inventory. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a it's kind of an old school rigid way to say that. But to me, that just means keep as much of the as observer present as we can as we're going, right? So there's a me doing things, but let's just do our best to build that awareness of the observer that's watching the me do things. And when the me that's doing things is being a dumbass, the observer can go, you know, 10% or a 10 degree course change, right? And that 10% over the vast expanse of space and time is a huge shift in one's whole perspective and outcome. So what I want to talk to you about right now, dude, because otherwise I'll talk too much and then my ego will go, you asshole. (laughs) And someone will troll me and be like, how about the guest talks once in a while? It's all about you, huh? Okay, okay, guilty. I can run my mouth, I admit it. But last time I saw you, we're here in Austin, as I said. Uh, I just had a stint in Sedona, as I was telling you earlier, for a month and a half to uh, prospect that as a home for myself and the lady. And uh, it was evident that that was not the full-time permanent home. Thankfully, that clarity came. Loving it here. Uh, and can't wait to spend more time with you and, and the squad that is becoming so abundant and brilliant out here. But last time I saw you, you were my turf, Malibu. We're at Soho House. And... Uh, we took a walk down an alley to the beach and I said, Kyle, what's been going on, man? And if I get the story right, it was something like, man, I just took a hero's dose of psilocybin the other day. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, five grams, seven grams, you know, that must've been pretty intentional. Like, yeah, I took 30 grams. <laughs> I'm like, how do you even get 30 grams of mushrooms in your stomach? A, like, was it a smoothie? Uh, and then you went in, you know, we didn't have a lot of time, but I was like, what's, you know, what's kind of the overview or the takeaway of, of that depth of experience? And you mentioned something about uh, merging with or communicating with the soul, I think of your son and I'm really curious about how this all ties into parenthood. I want to kind of steer us back into that Mm. because as someone who's becoming more open and hopefully even desirous of the parenthood experience, as I let go of many of those old fears and programs um, and with someone who is so deserving of sharing that experience with me and I of her, 
what happened in that 30 gram mega dose and how did you work with that energy? Yeah. Let me just do give bullet points. I jumped into 30 grams after a friend of mine sent me uh, a YouTube video from Kalindi Ayi, who recently passed away, um, who had been doing 20 to 30 gram doses for two decades, you know, and, and a lifelong martial artist. Uh, he had a wealth of knowledge on African plant medicines and my first, I didn't even watch it. I responded to her with, this guy's a fucking quack. Nobody does that. That high of mushrooms willingly. And then I felt called to watch it. And then like halfway through, I'm like, damn, this guy's given me permission. And I recognized the times when ayahuasca had taught me to climb the ladder with psilocybin. I actually had visions of golden mushrooms blooming against a black background and the numbers seven, nine, and 11. Like it was showing me a trajectory up the ladder to continue to work in those spaces um, without a curandero, you know, without having to go to the Amazon. And so I felt super called and, and uh, you know, I ended up doing a very strong strain, penis envy mushrooms that I didn't realize at the time, uh, which is a whole backstory, but I ended up doing that. And, um, you know, the very beginning of it, it, I had fasted the whole day. I did it at night. And yeah, ground them in the coffee grinder and just mixed it with water. So it was it was a little sludgy, but it was I was hungry, so it was nice to feel like, <laughs> oh, this is satiating, you know, like right. mushrooms are good and satiating. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, I learned a lot on the front side of that, that was just pure divinity. Like, and the back side of that ended up being pure darkness, which I learned even more from. But on the on the front side of the experience, and again, the whole the whole thing only lasted like three and a half hours. It went from 8.30 p.m. to 12.01 a.m. And I was completely back uh, like that. So I think fasting, having done a cold bath, really trying to ground accelerated it. But, um, you know, when I, when I thought of Bear, I just saw there's, a, there's a, a photo that I was looking out of my phone of him before I went in. And I just saw that photo. And as I thought of how much I love him, it took me I, it took me to what appeared to be his soul. And it looked like this fucking giant mountain. Maybe it was an iceberg, but it was this huge structure. And it looked like uh, some one letter was coming up from it, which was his real name, not Bear, the soul's name. And I don't know if any of this is, might just all be fucking make-believe, but it, I could feel the level of awareness that soul carried. And, and it, it just blew me away. Like I was stunned. And in that understanding and, and visceral feeling of his power, his knowledge, his ancient wisdom, the recognition that I'm, I'm, and it is my duty to raise this wise master with as little shit as possible, you know, to not steer him off course in any way, to allow him to experience the world for himself because he already knows most of it, you know, just to give him the best tools for him to go through to protect him when it's necessary, to let go of the reins and the boundaries when it's necessary, and um, to be a guide, you know, like not to to uh, teach him everything because he's, he's again he already knows so much, but to just simply um, to to allow him to experience it for himself and give him the best tools to do that, you know, it's like. Um, one of the visions I had in Sedona of him was, was the, the Khalil Gibran quote on kids where it's like, you're not, we don't get to see the future, but parents are the archers that cast the arrow forward into the future. And this is butchering it and paraphrasing, but 
it's our trajectory of the release of that arrow that sends them as far as they go into the future and how close they get to the bullseye, right? And so really thinking about that, it's, it's not so much of like, I'm, I'm not telling him anything about God other than like if he has some adversement or says, I hate anything, it's kind of the old paradox, like taught to I'm that too. God is everything. It's the thing we like and have preference for. It's the thing we don't like. It's fucking everything. You know, it's flies. It's dog shit. It's all of it. That is the structure. Even mosquitoes? Come yeah. on. Come on, man. Yeah. Like hey, that, Aubrey, Aubrey has a cool vision on mosquitoes too. have been a mistake. I mean, that's the one, <laughs> that's the one creature I'm like, and what is your purpose? What's sharing our information? You know, mm, what mm. shares our information? What, what brings that around? You know, what, what shares... DNA and viruses and all these things that we might be looking at through a lens of problematic that aren't really that problematic. And that might ruffle some people's feathers as well. But, you know, like that, that it's, it's a share. It bridges the gaps for people that we're not going to make out with or have sex with, you know, and does it on a, on a, on a large scale. So anywho, that's on mosquitoes that. from Aubrey. Yeah, I'll buy and, that. Uh, Makes sense. And so, you know, really with that, with Barrett, for me, it's like thinking of critical points in his life where I can set up the dominoes and let him walk through those doorways himself. You know, rites of passage, different, different experiences that he'll come to know his divinity for himself that go well beyond any fucking word that can come out of my mouth to explain something. It's like Ted Decker says, you know, if you, you can read about the avocado, you can have the best painter paint you the avocado, but until you eat one, you don't know an avocado. Right, so taste the divine. Like if you if you you uh, you're the guy that was on Rogan's Brian something. He wrote Immortality Key. Mm-mm. It's uh, he was with Graham Hancock. It's a phenomenal book on um, on uh, early Christianity and ancient Greece. So he goes through the Eleusinian mysteries where they were serving Kikion, but naturally it had ergot on it. You know, which is a natural LSD. Um, uh, derivative and and so this was the way from ancient Greece, which is the f- the foundation of Western civilization and Western culture and Western thought, all birthed from those experiences in Eleusis. Oh damn! And when they started to control Eleusis and say like you know it's only for the who's who the bourgeoisie, people started to take that out to the rest of Europe, and when early Christianity was around uh, this idea of the high priestess. It was the women who were the curanderas. They were still making the brew. Wine then was not alcoholic. So the, the, the wine that Christ drank was a psychedelic wine. That might fuck with people too, but I mean, this, it's worth listening to on Rogan's for the taste test. And if you like wow. it, you can read the book. But it, I think idea, anyone listening to this, by the way, uh, this episode in particular and the show in general, the places I've gone on this shit, I all right, cool. think if anyone's still with me, <laughs> at, at, you know, they're they're down. Oh, they're, yeah, they're down like, to go almost like, anywhere. I would say, I, I, yeah, I hardly know my audience, but we've been consistent with the numbers, so I, I imagine that that people are at least. Um, one thing I always say is just, uh, you know, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you're listening to a podcast and you like 90% of it and hate 10% of it, focus on the 90 that you agreed with, you know, yeah. and then, and then, you know, maybe, maybe there's room for that 10% at some point. But this idea that you would drink the body of the Christ to know God through the psychedelic wine that was brought out from the teachers in Eleusis to the rest of Europe to the rest of the world through the Middle East. And that, that was the Eucharist. When you ate the body of Christ, it wasn't a fucking cracker you got from a Catholic priest. It was a psychedelic journey. And the whole concept that you would die 
before you die. So you'd know how to live. Right. And that's, you know, <laughs> we don't get that from microdosing. We get that from the big boy, big boy doses. Right. <laughs> you got and that so right. the, that's the impetus for the, the 30 grams. That's the impetus right. for, you know, the, the heroic dose with the Sonoran desert toad. That's the impetus for all these things is to truly experience that. And, and then to get a level of clarity and awareness and direction on like, all right, cool. I've been playing the game a certain way and I don't have it all figured out by any means, but I have a greater degree of clarity on how I'm going to play the game now, you know, and that's why they do this once a year. So this, this was taken out, you know, these, these, they had these gatherings, these cult-like gatherings in the forest where they couldn't be taken down. And literally this is what spawned, you know, the, 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 the witch trials and everything prior to that, the burning of witches, you know, when, when, um, uh, Constantinople, I'm not sure if I'm getting that right, but one of the, you know, when, when, Rome and the Vatican became huge. They went and snuffed out all these medicine women that were creating the brews and, and saying like, this is what Christ wanted was for you to know God through the experience of God and to know your, to know thyself truly Wow, through a death experience. It's a brilliant fucking book, whether wow. it's true or not, it resonates highly with me. Yeah. And, um, that makes sense. Cause again, like even if Jesus was here today and he stepped into his field and you're like, Oh shit, I get it. You know, it's me telling you something and you listening to it. And for those that are listening to this podcast, you can receive a lot from a podcast. You can receive a lot from a book, but to viscerally experience that for yourself is a completely different experience. You know, watching football on a TV versus going to the stadium or standing on the field, three different experiences, playing the game, completely different. Completely different. And that's, that's, I guess, what, what some of these psychedelic experiences can offer with the right set and setting, the right amount of reverence, intention, and the right people guiding you through that experience. No question. We'll be right back at you after this brief but important announcement. All right, I'm going to make a confession here. I used to put away some alcohol back in the day. I started drinking when I was way too young and uh, hit it pretty hard until I was 26 years old and uh, had to give a full stop at that point. (laughs) I've been doing that for, uh, wow, almost 24 years now. But one thing I do miss at times is the ritual of having a cocktail with some friends or even coming home from work and having a cocktail or many myself. So when I want to have that experience without some of the side effects, I turn to kineuphorics.com slash Luke. These guys make some fantastic alcohol-free beverages. The first one being High Road. This is one that gives you a feeling of a lifted mind and a relaxed body. So it's great for a social hour, hanging out with friends, or just unwinding at the end of a long day. They've got another one called Kin Spritz. It's a sparkling brain boost with some amazing nootropic qualities without the crash or hangover. Kin Spritz is one you might pop open at around 4 or 5 p.m. to get out of that afternoon slump and shift from work mode into play mode. And then finally, Dream Light, a booze-free nightcap that tastes like Amaro and really melts away stress. It's got some great adaptogenic herbs that are going to help calm and relax you and likely improve your sleep, unlike alcohol that will wreck your sleep, at least if you test your sleep scores. So think of Kin Euphorics as the first non-alcoholic drink for grown-ups who care about things like brain function, great sex, hormone harmony, deep sleep, and de-stressing after a hard day at work. You can find Kin Euphorics right here at the link I'm about to drop on you. Go to kineuphorics.com slash Luke. 
That's spelled K-I-N-E-U-P-H-O-R-I-C-S. That's kinuphorics.com slash Luke. If you use that link, you're going to save yourself 15% off on some amazing non-alcoholic beverages. Enjoy. And now back to the interview. It's a little challenging for me sometimes because... And I talked to Aubrey about this the other day. So for those listening, sorry to say the same thing twice on a, on the same goddamn show. But um, I don't know. There's this dance of like <sighs> being in integrity and taking responsibility for my words and things that I portray as positive, aka promote just due to my own positive experiences and enthusiasm about these. It's like, it's a part of me that's like, oh, the responsible thing to do is to kind of, you know, really push the exercise caution piece and minimize the gifts and potential of these experiences. And so I'm always trying to find a balance there. And I usually do give a disclaimer, something like that. Like, this is not stuff to play with if you're not ready. How do you know you're ready? Who, who can you talk to that'll determine if you're ready, if you are ready? Which one of these experiences are you ready for? How, what depth of that experience are you ready for? And ultimately, I guess everyone's ready for everything at some point, but it's, it's tricky, man. It's nuanced. And especially um, hearing a little bit about, and perhaps we'll go into that, um, some of the experiences that you have that have been more challenging. I recently had one that was fairly challenging, but have mostly gone in and out unscathed, you know, in terms of bad trips and, uh, you know, facing the demons in that way. Um, but I do have friends that have had pretty gnarly experiences. You know, I don't know that it was harmful in the long run. Did they derive more benefit as a net result? I think so. But um, I also have to be in my own honesty and integrity. And, and I want to have these conversations because of what's transpired for me and the things that I witness other people like you go through and just watching people's, the rapidity of maturation in these experiences, just watching someone evolve so fast, including oneself. It's easier to see the other, but I can look at my life over the past couple of years ago. Oh, what? Who is this dude? Like I'm on some other shit, (laughs) you know? And I don't know that that would have happened when it happened. Might've happened in a few incarnations, but I don't know if it would have happened when it happened in that expanse of time space uh, to the depth that it has. So I, I just can't resist exploring this. But anyway. Well, it's alive in you, you know, and it's important to talk about, to speak to what's alive inside. You yeah. Know? Because it's, it's uh, there's a level of falseness when you avoid that out of fear, right? The fear that that will encourage people to, like, it's the same reason I talk about 30 grams of penis envy. Like, I don't know many people on the fucking planet that can handle that. And that's not me tooting my own horn. I myself will never do that again without a black belt. I'll never do that solo again even though Kalindi says that's how you should do it. Um, <laughs> I would, were, in, in that journey, were you like eye mask, playlist, really going inward? Or were you cruising around outside? Like what was the set and setting? There? Eye mask, wow. playlist, music for Mushrooms album, East Forest. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, you know, but, but, but again, like, and he, he talks about, you know, ramping up two grams at a time. Same thing Ayahuasca showed me. I jumped levels to get there. And perhaps that's the ass kicking I needed to, to know like, the, all right, let's back it down a ways. Um, but I would do that with, with a high level practitioner, somebody that can help guide the experience, somebody who knows how to, to sing Icaros that can guide the experience. And so briefly, just to state, you know, like where does someone start? I think we can both recommend a place like Soltara, where not only do you have high level people, Kurenberos, 
that will work with you throughout your experience, but you have intermediaries that have you know, been working with the medicine, could easily be serving stateside in their own right, but they're still considered themselves apprentices that have, some have been apprenticing for fucking 10 years, six years. And they speak perfect Spanish, perfect English. They speak uh, some Shipibo, you know? So like there's nothing lost in translation with them. They bridge the gap and there's other helpers and guides that have been apprenticing for less long that are all there in your service. And it's capped at 18 to 20 people. So you don't have this sea of, of energy in the room. It's well-contained and they know how to work with you. And even when I was there, I did my, the last time I for the only time I've been a Sultara was my 23rd through 26th nights drinking with Aya. And there was a point where they had, you know, one of the recommendations was to take less, just sit with less tonight. And I, I grudgingly said, okay, fine. And I, okay. You know, I'll do that. And then I did. And I had all, just all the beauty and the downloads I could have asked for. It wasn't nearly as visual or psychedelic as, as the small self wanted. Like, I want to get blasted out. Let's go into a different dimension. Let me see this and that. You know, it was like, ultimately, the things that I had on my list intentionally were ironed out by far on the final night where I had next to no visions at all. And I got so much clarity from that experience. And again, Aya, including this practitioner, had showed me a different way to work with that medicine. You know, that's 26 times in, you know, and that's still in its infancy compared to a Dennis McKenna, a Garba Mate, who have sat hundreds of times, who consider themselves infants in working with ayahuasca. And there's, you know, the practitioners, uh, one of which had done a dieta for three years, you know, and his wife was like, hey, you can't keep doing dietas. I need to have sex with you. You know, like <laughs> there's some rules here in relationship, circle back home. Um, but thousands of ceremonies that guys had, and it's still unfolding for him. So uh, I think it's important, you know, when, when we get in to those spaces, at least initially to have expert level guidance before you take the training wheels off and say, okay, I'm good for the solo journey. You know, it certainly has helped me having practitioners guide me along the way for, through my first, you know, couple dozen mushroom experiences and couple dozen ayahuasca ceremonies. And I was never something that I'll pour for myself. You know, there's some, there's some that ones. That sounds like a bad idea. Yeah. There's just, there's some things you don't do solo. Yeah, you know, like I'm not going to have funny. the death dose of 5-MeO solo. I'm going to have yeah. a, a, a high level practitioner there. There's, there's many things that fall within that realm, but I don't, that I didn't mean to cut you off, but no, I thought that, no, that would be a just, good way to like grease the wheels for people that are interested. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I think, you know, said with a degree of um, autonomy and responsibility, you know, like he, we're a public figure, right? You and I, to whatever degree. Like I, I think I'm largely insignificant, but in my little corner of the universe, there's a few people that go, hey, he did that thing. I want to do that thing, right? So there is, I think, a karmic responsibility to do the best that you can with guidance. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not responsible for someone else's decisions to do something or not do something. I'm going to say, hey, these are some of the things that have been positive. These are some that are less than positive. These are the mistakes that I've made. These are the mistakes that I've observed perhaps others make. But in the end, in the final analysis, in this realm, I don't know that there are mistakes because it seems as though most of us go through these different shadows and you know, places where things get murky and emerge a better, more evolved person. And, uh, you know, that seems to be pretty universal too, with the exception of, you know, the, the guy you heard about that never came back. But personally, subjectively, I've, I've not witnessed that firsthand. Like everyone, yeah. eventually their ship kind of comes back into the dock and 
and all is well, but it could be some rough seas out there. Yeah. Uh, back on the, uh, the fatherhood and, um, and that piece, something that came to mind earlier, because we referenced both the evolution of what now, who the entity that we're calling your son, Bear, and the levels of consciousness as outlined by David Hawkins and his model you enter in to each incarnation at the level of consciousness that you previously exited at. So if you made it to 550, unconditional love, you're doing pretty good in the last lifetime. You're going to come back in at 550 when you're born. But you're also going to invite circumstances and you have karma that's going to unfold that could have you devolve in your level of consciousness as you age as that personality because you're given contrast and opportunity and free will to go back down, to meander wherever you want in terms of your consciousness and the degree of uh, distance from the Godhead, right? Mm-hmm. So you can drift way out into serial killer land if you so choose, or you're taken there, or you can drift fully higher and higher and higher to merge with God. So your son bear comes in, picks you, picks your wife, and maybe even picks some aspects of his personality type and flavor of human, gender, et cetera. But ultimately, he could have, in whatever form he has been in the multitudes of lifetimes, been much higher in consciousness than you or your wife were when you had him. And that's that interesting thing of the teacher. Yet, he hasn't integrated into this new personality and there's an amnesia that's taken place of all of the nuggets of wisdom that he's gained in prior incarnations. So it's um, something you alluded to earlier was in that this game isn't about learning new stuff. It's about kind of revealing what you already are. So how is your son a teacher to you? What are you learning that he might have brought with him that he's even unaware of, you know, beyond his personality and the little ego and the boundaries that he's creating to differentiate himself and all that. Like, what do you see in his soul, whether in, a, in that medicine journey or in day-to-day life as a parent that's teaching you? Yeah, there's, that's a brilliant question. There's a, a lot of what I see in, in him already is, is, it's funny, and, and, it, and it's funny how it interacts with what I've learned, but I'll give you an example. Every time we go in a while, and I, didn't, I don't tell him, never taught him this, never told him to do it, never coaxed him into it, but everyone he comes across, he talks to, and he says, I love you when we leave. Wow. Right? The fucking perfect strangers in the neighborhood, <laughs> right? And most people are like, uh, 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 you know, like it just, they just get caught, like, uh, and some people be like, oh, thank you. I love you too. Like an old person, old lady usually feels that love. They're not shook by it. And they say, I love you too. You know, and they don't even know each other's names. Um, but more often than not, people get weirded out by it. You know, they're kind of like, eh, you know, and then, and then I feel that too. Like, oh, buddy. And I, I don't ever coach him out of that. I don't fucking like, he's got it. I'm not going to coach you out of that and say, bear, we don't say we love each other to other strangers. Like I'm not, fuck no. Like you're already <laughs> fucking, you're better than I am at that. Yeah. You know, you like, want to teach him there, there's no such thing as a stranger because there is no them. 
Yeah. I mean, for, for sure, we have boundaries, right? There's yeah. the paradox. Like, boundaries, I don't want you to get into some dude's van or whatever, you know? Like, that, that, there, there, is, there is a sense of protection as a father and a sense of protection that he must come to know for himself to remain safe in the space, not running into a street when a car comes, that kind of shit. But um, past that, you know, like, seeing, like, the level he entered at that you're speaking of is... I don't know if it's higher than where I was when I was a kid. Maybe it was just the way that I was raised that, that kind of snuffed that out. But he's a fucking ball of light. And he's got unlimited energy, but he truly loves people and perfect strangers. You know, like first day of school this year, he meets his new teacher and runs right up to her, gives her a giant hug and like an authentic, he, I hug people for a long time just because the medicine has shown me like, don't give somebody a fucking pat on the back. Like give them love when you hug them. And that's a felt experience. A lot of people say like, wow, that's a really good hug. And some people are like, oh, that was quite a long hug. You know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, it might be different, but that's, that's kind of how I, I feel into doing that. Um, it's not always well-received, but that's how he hugs with no coaching, you know? And so he hugs his teacher and he's like, oh, I love you so much. I'm so excited to be here, you know? And she just melted her. She was like, oh my God, you know? And then talking to her later, she's like, he has so much compassion. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, the second someone gets hurt, he runs to their side, makes sure they're okay, and then calls a teacher over to help. He's the only kid that does it, you know? And this isn't me like, oh, yeah, my son's the fucking best, you know? I'm going to put this bumper sticker on my <laughs> yeah, car. Like, yeah. yeah, he didn't get straight A's, my but he sure has number compassion. One compassion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying? But like, yeah. there are ways that that has presented itself to me where... um we are blessed to have such a special little guy, you know? And I think the kids that are coming in now, as we look to the external and the chaos, uh, what is to off balance that? Well, it is these beings of love that understand like they're going to hold a certain frequency that can balance that. They're going to hold a certain frequency that sees through illusion and bullshit. And he does that too. You know, like he, if there's, there's some fucking arbitrary rule that I'm regurgitating from my dad or my mom, it's not all Papa. Sorry if you're listening. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's plenty of shit where he just sees right through it, you know? And it's not just the repetitive why. It's like, that doesn't make sense. He'll say mm. that. That doesn't make sense. And if I'm not an ego and I can be like, ah, you're right. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let me see if I can explain this better. Uh, That's you know? like me going into Whole Foods with my bacteria-laden, disgusting mask on. and just going like... <laughs> The humiliation of knowing I'm doing something that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. In, in that uh, journey where you were in communication with him or observance with him, have you had similar experiences with your newborn, with your daughter? Was there a, a pre-birth uh, soul conversation, connection, calling in, anything like that? Yeah, both happened with ayahuasca. So my wife and I, I mean, I'd read this in DNA and the Cosmic Serpent by Jeremy Narby that you could have when they went to, when Western scientists went to name harmine and harmaline, two alkaloids in the vine of ayahuasca, they wanted to name it telepathine because people had shared visionary experiences with those medicines. And, but they were already named harmine and harmaline. So that never got changed. Um, had read about it in books. And I don't know, maybe for my fifth ceremony, Tasha's fourth, we were in circle together and she was talking at closing circle about having a vision of me holding a child and her holding the two of us. And I was like, hold on. I don't mean to cut you off, but I've had the exact, had the exact same vision, <laughs> right? A month wow. later, uh, it's the same vision, except now it's a boy. And we both have the same vision and recognize it's a boy. 
And so, you know, you, you alluded to that earlier, but we do pick our gender, you know, which is um, that'll ruffle some fucking people on the West Coast for sure. Um, so knowing that Portland's on fire, we now. knew we were going to have, <laughs> we knew we were going to have a boy and he told me his name was bear. And a month later we were pregnant and I just wanted to check, like, let's confirm this, you know? And yes, it's a 50, 50 fucking coin flip. Maybe I lucked out, but we have a boy, his name's bear. In 2016, we were sitting with ayahuasca and, um, uh, same place, beautiful place. And I asked about my next child who I thought was going to be a boy. I'd been shown two boys and one girl. And I thought it was going to be the two boys first and then a girl. And, um, I thought their names, you know, were going to be bear, wolf, and jaguar. But, um, in this experience, I, I turned down and it goes pitch black and I feel like I'm in a void, but I feel the presence of this other being and the being communicates and says, I'm going to be your daughter. My name is Wolf. And I was like, fucking man, like, <laughs> floodgates, you know? Oh, and uh, I've had communication with that soul. And that was in 2016. She was born in 2020. So four years ahead of time, that was a tough piece to surrender to that. And I always thought, you know, like, I mean, yeah, reading your daily horoscope in the fucking Sunday paper is a joke, but there is something to this, the interconnectivity of all things, the planets, the stars, where we're at, which time of year it is that all fucking matters energetically for the personality, for the small self, for the being that is expressed for the growth of that being through the mother, through the food that's available to the mother, all of that shit is intertwined. It's all interconnected. It all is by design. Right. And the medicine wheel that you went through earlier about the seasons and the directions, right? Because there's a season and a direction for you, for your wife, for your existing boy, and the one that's going to come in at some point. They're probably in an etheric non-physical sense having their own seasons out there doing whatever they're doing too right yeah i mean it's it's literally the stars line up right you know and so you know really having to surrender to the when she was going to come and how she was going to come and july 4th this year on a full moon she shows up and all the planets on one side it was like the first time in i don't know 78 years or something like that where that's happened. And it was just like, huh, I don't know what that means. I'm not trying to dive into that and be like, oh, this means she's going to be blah, blah, blah. And she's a star child and all this other shit. Like, no, I don't know any of that, but I know it does. It did matter. And sure enough, she comes out a beautiful brunette and here she is, you know? And I think of that too, like with all the shit in the world (laughs) going on, it's like, uh, a child born on 4th of July right now, smack dab in the middle of quarantine. Like, and Tosh was wondering, like, when she got pregnant, like, why did she wait until now to come? You mm-hmm. know, and we had to just understand that. That, too, is by design. It's not a, she should have come earlier, and then we, we would have been in the same spot if we had a three-year-old and a five-year-old, and shit hits the fan externally. You know, but but the, that that does give a little light at the end of the tunnel to see like, oh, people are still incarnating right now in yeah. the fucking madness. Right. They're not like past. No, they're like, fuck <laughs> next yeah. Next decade, let's, please. Mm-hmm. Or next like, century. Let's go. Wow. Let's go. They're saying yes. Wow. Ah, it's so interesting. You know, I, I hear a lot of um, medicine and just tapped in people in general talking about this generation of kids, you know, the past... 10 years or so, right? 10 and earlier. Um, 
that they're a different breed of human. And I, I'm not around kids enough. I, only, I have a couple friends with kids and I see them here and there. And I think, I don't think I was that tapped in when I was eight, you know, but I don't know. I don't know. Right. But I mean, they're just kids that you hang out with and you don't feel like, oh, God, I'm hanging out with a kid. This is a little tedious, which, you know, it sounds like a dick thing to say. Hey, but, I fucking felt that before. And but, I'm a dad. You know, it's like you want yeah. to have a conversation like this and they're like, that thing's red. You know, it's like, okay, I can hang with the, yeah, the thing's red. Yeah, Johnny. You know, it's like, I don't know. I'm just seeking a, what I perceive to be a more rich experience in some conversations. However, these kids, I'm like looking at them and they're saying things. I'm like, uh, what did you just say? And I'm fascinated and enthralled like I am in this conversation, right? So there's definitely something happening. Do you find in, and as we discussed earlier, in this particular place on the planet right now, there is something extremely special and meaningful happening with our peer group and sort of age range. I can only imagine this peer group here and all of the offspring, these star children, whatever era they're from, do you find that, you know, outside of your kids, and of course you have a subjective experience of them, I'm sure as being complete miracles more so than you would, you know, the next person's kids that you're not related to. Are you finding this breed of soul that's coming in with your peers and some of the people here in Austin? What are you seeing in, in, in the generality of, of these kids and babies? I, I do because it's, it is different. And this is, you know, I want to be careful here to not there's a couple of ways I'll explain this. It's for sure going to ruffle some feathers, but maybe in a good way, right? Um, Will Tegel talked about this. Dr. Will Tegel talked about this, that, that the indigo children are not the children being born right now. They're the, they're the 30 to 40-year-olds that have been playing with consciousness, either through meditation practices, yoga, or plant medicines in any way, shape, or form, understanding self, taking deeper dives, burning karma, and really dialing in what the experience is and how to shape as co-creators right now. Their children are second-generation indigo children, if they choose to be, right? Everyone has free will. Like I guess they fuck that. Ignorance is bliss. You know, I'm going to get a day job and, and fucking <laughs> smoke meth. You know, like yeah, it's yeah. completely up to them, right? Sure, sure. But that choice is there. And if they're, you know, kept as whole as possible while still remaining safe with some boundaries, I do see that in them. You know, and the school bear goes to, there's fucking no masks ever. No shots ever. It is, it is a, a unicorn is of a in school. in the school with Mickey's Mickey's uh, oh, First okay. day of school, I walk in and Mickey and Del Big Tree are there. And I'm like, is this the fucking Twilight Zone? Nice. What's happening right now? Bam. That gives me so much hope to have kids. Yeah. That's one of my myriad of fears is like, I'm not plugging them into like Tavistock Institute, Marxism shit, which I think from what I understand has even infiltrated some of the Waldorf schools and stuff. I'm like, I ain't taking a soul and subjecting them to that level of manipulation. Yeah. So I mean, anyway. this school was started from Waldorf teachers that left mm. Austin Waldorf. And Austin Waldorf's great. I mean, I still have, I have friends that still attend there. It is an awesome school. We loved it for a year. Um, but not knowing where they were going to stand, they said, we're going to follow CDC guidelines. And I'm like, you're a private school. You don't need to do that. We're out. Um, but this school is awesome. You know? And, and to, again, to Waldorf's credit, they're still running good things. They're not putting people through you know, online learning and shit like that. And for a lot of people... There are price requirements to be able to get out of that, or you cannot, you know, I fucking get it. I've seen it from all angles. Like my, my sister, like you got to go to public school because both parents need to work. 
Like there's a lot of shit there. And so it's not like, oh, the children are lost. They're not fucking dope kids anymore. It's like, no, it's what you do with them when they're out of school. You know, Ben Greenfield talked to me about that. It's, it's having a hard cut at 4 p.m. The moment his kids, his boys are out of school and they might be homeschooling again, but while they were in school for that portion of time, he made sure whatever he had to do work-wise, it was done completely. He's not on his cell phone. He's not fucking turning the TV on and so he can finish his work. He's done completely so he can be fully present with them and teach them the shit they're not learning in school. You know, how to shoot a bow, how to forage for wild mushrooms and edible plants, being in nature with them. Even if you don't know those things, just getting outside and being fully present with your kids is the connection piece that you build. Gabra Mate talked about that in his book, uh, Hold On To Your Kids, the importance of that to allow attachment to take place in a clean way, to not sever that cord early, which causes kids to look to that from their peer group, never finding a whole home, Ooh, wow. right? Yeah, which leads yeah. to gangs and all sorts of shit. Eventually, it's not to say fucking every, you know, every kid who was let to cry out is going to wind up in a gang. No, that's not the case at all. But um, Pull On Your Kids is a fantastic book because it really illustrated the ways in which both those paths go in their extreme right? And most people stay pretty close to the center. Most kids grow up just fine and work through their shit and have a little circle at night. And they're like, oh, okay, I see what that was. And they get cool from it. But, um, you know, as much baggage as I can leave off my kids, I want to try that. And I'm still going to make mistakes. I still have any mistakes. And, and that's all good too. Like I ultimately, like one of these pieces in creating and designing the world we want to live in comes back down to self-forgiveness and self-compassion. You know, it always starts there, you know, and that's something that I've, I've continued to, to learn and relearn, you know, check. And a lot of people have always talked about, you can only love someone else as much as you love yourself. You can only have as much compassion for another as you have for yourself. And we're the, the hardest critic of ourselves as our own inner critic by far. No one beats our ass like our, like our own self. There's no one, there's no one that does. And if, and if there is like a boss that is constantly fucking shitting on you. You've called that in. You know what I'm saying? Like you still have fucking choice. We always have choice. Uh, but it's quite likely that that is mirrored in some way, that that boss is a reflection of how you view yourself in many ways. So lots, lots of stuff there. I don't know if I'm, uh, I can feel like I'm trailing off on the <laughs> outskirts of this uh, question. No, answer, there, I don't think there are outskirts because it's, <laughs> it's so vast. I mean, we're talking about the karmic cycle of incarnations and the evolution of, souls as individual and the collective souls as we evolve out of our humanity, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, there's so many different and infinite number of directions to go. And I think at this particular time, since we are definitely at a massive turning point, uh, the likes of which I have never seen in terms of the control matrix merging out into the open, just going, yeah, this is how we're rolling. You're, you guys are we don't care about you. <laughs> you know, we want to depopulate the planet and here's how we're doing it. You know, the whole mess that we're kind of in, if you view it that way, um, now is the critical time because it's the generations that are being born right now that have been born that are coming into adulthood as this matrix is either crumbling or going for one last grasp successfully and just, you know, full on communism worldwide, regression of many, many levels and the whole decimation of Western culture, right? Despite its flaws, it's one of the most advanced, I'd say, uh, if not the most advanced. 
not just because I happen to be in it right now, but like this culture has brought a lot forward, you know? Um, so if we're not talking about kids and the direction of them, like what are we talking about in a sense, right? Because there's only so much we can do before our expiration date in this body. Cool. We can work, man. We can be a householder. We can keep grinding, keep growing. But the ones that are left behind are the ones that are really going to carry the ball for us to move forward. And perhaps we're that for boomers, you know? I mean, I think mm-hmm. my you know, mom and dad and some aunts and even my grandma turned me on to uh, spiritual teachers from India and different things like that. I think that they were perhaps more open to because they were exposed to the 1960s and some of the movements and the merging of cultural ideas and things like that. So maybe I'm, you know, the trickle effect of that. And your kids are going to be the trickle effect of this next level of, um, of um, expansion that we're in. I had an interesting experience I want to share with you. Uh, <laughs> Oh man, I, when we're in the weeds, I mean, not in the weeds, that's the wrong word because that makes it sound like you're getting lost. But when we're in the depth of this stuff and these conversations, I always kind of panic because I look at the clock and I think like, oh, there's something we're supposed to be doing. It's, it's getting too long, <laughs> but there's, we're like at the 10 yard line, really where I see we could go. And it's like, I just can't wait for another episode. Who knows where we'll be, if mm-hmm. we'll be. Because uh, there's so many, so many things I want to unpack, like your recent experience with Toad and you know, I've already talked about mine on this show, but I, I really want to get into that. But while we're on the soul level experience, the incarnation level of experience of procreation and the role that we might choose uh, as participants in this conversation or listeners in this conversation, the idea of fatherhood to me has always been pretty scary uh, because of things that I experienced as a kid. I'm afraid those would happen to the kid that I'm going to suck at this, that I'm going to call in a super demonic low-level consciousness that I'm going to have to deal with as like some brutal (laughs) lesson. Um, You know, the loss of perceived freedom, doing what I want when I want, that kind of thing. Having to be responsible for something else when I'm already responsible for all these other things. What if I suck at it? You know, just myriad of things that have made that not something I've been able to really grasp in terms of having a sincere and potent desire to have that express in my life. So it's been a gradual, like never going to happen, never going to happen. Don't want it, don't want it. So maybe that'd be cool, but I'm afraid into kind of like, I'm a little afraid, but I think I want that to, I'm pretty sure I want that. And I'm a little bit afraid still. It's kind of the, mm-hmm. you know, the progression where I am. And when I wasn't in a relationship, it's like, man, I have to think about that. Just carry on, you know? Um, But now I'm in a beautiful relationship uh, with a woman who has expressed desires to, you know, at least the potential of having kids, not like non-negotiable, it has to happen, but in a pretty fluid way is like, ooh, God, that really feels sweet. And that's something I want to participate in. Um, So we're both kind of feeling into that, right? But we got to get our home base and get officially married and do the things. There's a few steps. So I think in the linear world, However, a couple months ago, speaking of uh, big doses of mushrooms, in a ceremony in LA, and uh, probably just should do a solo cast on this whole thing, so I don't <laughs> use up this whole episode. But I was um, given an invitation to go into my own physical and sexual body and male embodiment. How I have minimized and misused sex as an energy, 
how I have dishonored my body, how I've dishonored the bodies of others and minimized them to such a base expression. And in unpacking that, which was like, okay, we're going to go here. There was amends made on a soul level to many, many people. It was deep medicine. And as I passed through those phases of it, with like a lot of courage to go into some pretty weird nooks and crannies, circumcision, like, whoo, gnarly shit. I took a pause at a moment, (laughs) opened my eyes, eye mask off because I was invited to look at the prospect of having a kid and what is there for me to unpack in there. And it was pretty scary Mm -hmm. to really just be present for that and what might present in that quantum space. Took a pause, called over one of the facilitators and was like, I don't know if I told him what I was about to go in, but I said, hey, I need to take a pause. I'm about to go in to some deep shit, but I'm willing. I'm not afraid. I mean, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyway. And so voluntarily, deep prayer. Okay, what is there to see? And because I had just cleared the path of like cleaning up a lot of the nastiness in there, Trauma-wise, karma-wise, self-forgiveness-wise, compassion for other-wise, all that. Like we've done a lot of deep excavation, got a lot of the boulders out of the way. Now there's kind of this clear path in the field to really get in there and go deep. And I think because I invited that experience in and I invited the courage and bravery to look at whatever I might find, a very pristine space emerged in which a being presented itself in the form of what could best be described as the brightest white crystalline star you've ever seen. No face, no little baby, nothing like in form, just, hey, (laughs) you know, hi, Luke. Oh, shit. Are you what I think you are? Yeah. I'm here. I want to come in. Can I come in? Will you have me? (laughs) Got to think about this one. (laughs) Pause. This answer is an important answer. Maybe the most important, relatively speaking. And there was just no way... I could deny that because of the purity and power of that being, a high-level, high-level being. And there was just no way I could say no, not, maybe, eh, can you come back later? It was like, oh, shit, I'm at the turning point. I'm at the gate here. I'm at the door. What are you going to do, Luke? Okay, yes, and (laughs) I got to check with Allison. We're going to have to reconvene at another time. But thank you for making um, your presence uh, clear and who you are and what you are and what your will and desire is. And uh, (laughs) then as the experience subsided, 
started to come out of the journey, there was like a, oops, why did I open that? Because now, (laughs) not because now I have to show up for that, but there's no way I can't go home and share that with Allison. Uh Like that would be so withholding and inauthentic. But if I share it with her and it's a go, I'm in this shit. And that caused me to face so many deep-seated fears. And there's so many strands of those fears and where they came from and what they mean and what they don't mean. But that was a potent experience, man. And it, and, and in processing that and integrating that as I've continued to do, I always go back to you and the story that we got into this with, you know, of going into that realm and having a communication with someone who wants to hang with you and do this thing. Um, so I just want to share that experience with you because it was so potent and beautiful and that <laughs> critic in me is like, you just did that on a podcast. <laughs> you realize this. <laughs> like, I'm in a space this week, man, after the toad, that's, it's like, it's so relevant to the kind of dream within a dream that I described to you earlier because now I'm doing things where the part of me is witnessing going, you're not supposed to do this. Red alert. <laughs> shut up. You're, people are listening to you, you know, in terms of just the depth of authenticity and vulnerability, you know, but I'm doing it anyway. I don't care. So that's that. Um, also within that clearing that made that possible was uh, an acknowledgement of the souls who tried to come in before that I participated in stopping. Mm. Yeah. Three. Mm. Wasn't ready. Didn't know. Didn't know what I know now, you know? Yeah. And a deep forgiveness in that and an acknowledgement of responsibility in that. And, um, you know, these are the kind of things. It's like you have these experiences. I can't discount that. It's not my imagination. And even if it is, who cares? Because look what is transpiring in my life. Look what is actually manifesting in terms of who and what I am as a, as a person. Um, it's difficult for me to imagine living this lifetime and not having the opportunity to have those kinds of experiences. I want to jump in and talk to you about readiness. Please. There was a question in there somewhere. <laughs> there was a sharing in a beautiful experience, my heart to your heart, but there's also yeah. like a, yeah, unpack this I, with I, me. You I know? felt like jumping in earlier, but I knew Thank there you. was more. Thank and you. the second you mentioned, you know, participating in the souls that you didn't allow, it brought up this readiness piece for me. There was a reason, not just cosmically, why Wolf waited. And I was shown this in all the medicine journeys I had from 2016, where I witnessed her and knew she was coming, to 2020 when she did come. I had four years of working with medicine and asking, why? Why aren't you here? What is the fucking holdup? And, um, you know, seeing that differently too with Bear, we saw him one month. We saw him the next month. And the month after that, we were pregnant with him. It was that fucking fast. Bang, bang, bang. And the first, the first ceremony I had with Bear, I was like, oh, wow. I mean, we're just dating, living in my mom's garage, broke-ass fighter, working at a titty bar cool, we're going to have a family one day. (laughs) It was still way out there. Like, cool. Years from now, when we're married and I'm successful, we'll have a kid. And the next ceremony, I was like, oh, it's a boy. And I was like, oh, fuck. This is now. 
oh shit, dude, I'm not ready, you know? And I went through every fucking fear. The fact that I lived in my mom's garage, I had no insurance. Um, I made next to nothing as a, as a fucking elite level fighter. I had to have a second job, you know, which was at a titty bar, bouncing and bartending. Um, no, didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I didn't know what lied ahead after fighting or, or if I was going to be in that bar till I was an old man, you know? Um, and as those fears ballooned up, I realized like all of, none of this is my shit. There's no perfect time to have a kid. This is what everyone else says. And that ball just moved away from me and peace washed over me. And I realized like, yeah, there is no perfect time. And it's not just my decision. <laughs> yeah, I can't right? control the whole experience. That, but that, but that, that, that soul was going to come exactly when it wants. And mm. if there are requirements for you, as I've learned with Wolf, she had greater requirements than Bear did. She had greater requirements from us as parents. I mean, she even came two days late. Uh, Bear came two days early. She came two days late, which wound up being the full moon um, and 4th of July. And it required us energetically clearing some shit, me and mom, you know? And um, really that was about us stepping into the vibration that was going to hold her. But there was, there was a lot of work to be done over the course of those four years and shit that I don't need to talk about on the podcast mm-hmm. with you that I can really dive into that will connect those dots viscerally through medicine experiences and what we've chosen to do to bring her into this world that is unfucking deniable and I will likely write about it at some point because there's no greater story in my opinion about anything that I've done or accomplished than how this shit manifested the lessons from the medicines but I just want to say like your level of reverence that you have for bringing a child into the world is the requirement it is the prerequisite and if you look and you've already said it twice on this podcast when you look back on yourself in the last 2 years and see the trajectory you're doing it, man. And you have access to tools that will further your growth, your awareness. And there's never a right time. And you're going to fucking make mistakes. You're going to experience all of it. And it's a ceremony that doesn't end. And there's no greater importance because if I fuck myself up and go insane and I'm single, big fucking deal. Oh, poor Kyle. He died. He went up in the loony bin. But when I got kids, yeah, there's some responsibility there. That doesn't end. Right. So the did the stakes get raised? Fuck yeah. Right? Does the responsibility get raised? hundred percent. And is it worth it? A thousand percent. There's no doubt about it. You know, so just having that reverence and knowing that, and then, you know, you have the this intention, this feeling when you say yes to that, then you surrender to how and when they show up. Don't get caught up in the trying and we want it now. That's and, it. That's you know, it. That's a yeah. big piece I had to let go of with Wolf was understanding she is coming. It's just not on my fucking timeline, right? It's everything dispensa teaches. You know, you, you make your intention, you surrender to the how and when. Suffering only occurs when we attach ourselves to the how and when. I want it now and I want it this way. That doesn't leave much room for the all consciousness to sort a better way for you. Right. And same thing goes when you're picking out houses, right? Like you understand that. You're like, I fucking love this one. I want it. Somebody else put a better offer on it. Fuck. Now we're going to get a shit house. Like, or you find a better one, right? You just had to wait a little longer. That, that, that constantly happens throughout life. And as our awareness raises, we begin to track that and say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember when that happened in this thing. And then, oh, okay. 
cool. I'm just in the point right now where I'm uns- it's uncertain, right? And like on the grandest scale, we're just in the point right now as humanity awakens where we say, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. I see fucking lights going up on every street light, on every camera. Uh, there's cameras on every fucking light now at every intersection. 5G towers are everywhere. It's not causing coronavirus, but boy, is it going to be perfect for mapping people you know, facial recognition in real time, which is already going on in China and all the other shit that we're learning. And it's like this, this thing that we're in right now, are we, can we stand in the eye of the hurricane and understand that this might be the pressure on a global scale that's necessary to bring us about the thing that we're calling in, to bring about a healing, to bring about the understanding that we are all one. And to live with that level of reverence for one another. Letting go of control. That's the message. That's the takeaway for me. And I'm, you know, I'm someone who is, can be quite controlling out of all of the, the lack of trust in different ways. You know, it's like with the having a kid thing, what you're describing is like, you ain't in charge of this shit. Because I have this imagine timeline, you know, and it's funny. I have a great example of what you just described. So before I, I, well, I had met Allison, my fiance, um, years ago, she was on my podcast and, um, you know, we weren't at a place where I wasn't, especially at that time was not dating nothing, you know, so no flirting, just all business, but we remained friends. So we met years ago, but when we became a couple, uh, I had been out of a relationship for a few months. We were sitting in ceremony with peyote for a weekend and uh, I had a very, very rigid construct of how I thought I was going to enter into a relationship again uh, because I didn't want to do it, quotes, uh, wrong again. I want to hurt myself again. Didn't want to hurt anyone else again. So I have these, this blueprint and I'm going to follow this blueprint. And if I do it this way, I'm going to get the right person at the right time. And you know, I liked her. It's great. I was positive. I felt good about where we were going. I had, you know, high hopes that we had potential for that, but it was going to be a whole different plan than what unfolded in that medicine, which is like basically our second date was a, you know, 48 hour ceremony in which we became a couple through some challenging conversations and a whole turn of events that I've described on uh, prior episodes with her and I, but it's a great example of that trust in the divine in that, sure, you have your little blueprint, that's cute. <laughs> but if you can really surrender into your innate wisdom and trust and intuition and align that with God's ability to match you there and meet you there, that's that sweet magic spot of the unknown. you know. And I think as, as I experience more of those where I see the control grid forming, and I'm invited to surrender that control grid and collapse into the potentiality of goodness and safety that is God. Not that the other's not, but you know what I mean? Just like, oh, okay, I know I can trust and really lean into this. And if I look at that experience, it's horrifying to me to think of what if I would have said no to the opportunity to trust into that and to just totally scrap my whole master plan which I did in the course of about like a 45-minute conversation. Not, not that she was putting any pressure on me, but there was inner pressure in like, 
there's this knowing that there's an opportunity for you here, Luke, with this person that is really, really special. And if you want to stick to your little blueprint plan, now is the time to bail and go back to that plan. But she's probably not going to be around waiting for your plan to match hers because she is in the moment right now, fully available to this. And there was an awareness of that. And there was one of those turning points like, oh God, this is scary. Do I want to go there? And it was just, I can't not. She's the one. This makes no sense. What am I talking about, Luke? Wake up. You're crazy. It's medicine, you know? And it's like, no, this is it. This is it. This is my one. And then I expressed that, scary as it was, woke up the next morning and we had given kind of a pause on that. Like I was giving an out, like, cool, Luke, thank you for acknowledging me and where, we're, where we are. And uh, I'm excited that you seem to feel that there's possibility here, but why don't you just sleep on it just in case you're tripping and you can't hang basically. And I'm, she'd probably kill me. I'm sure I'm butchering the whole story, but this is kind of my perception of as best I can get to uh, subjectively. And then, um, you know, the next morning, was, Hey, good morning. How are you? We never had sex or anything like that. You know, we're just totally like coming at this from a really different place than I ever have. And she's like, so how you feeling? You know, basically like, here's your out. What's up today? And I was like, I'm still in, you know, like (laughs) terrified, reluctantly, like, oh my God, last night I was so sure that this was the thing. And now I'm kind of half asleep. Is this real? Is it not? And I just had to lean into that, you know, just that it's like a 51%. There's a 1% like, this is it. I'm sure I'm going to lean into that. And I did. And it's so hard to imagine like, oh my God, it's, I can't imagine how whack my life would be or so I think if I hadn't entered into that with her because mm. so much magic has ensued and so much growth and healing has come out of the the expression of vulnerability and love and intimacy and my capacity to connect with another person is so much bigger than I thought was ever possible for me. I thought other people, I'd kind of watch it and I go, good for you. <laughs> how, do you I, how do you do that without losing yourself? Like, how do you merge like that and still have a you? And that's what I'm experiencing now. So in your description of that calling and that acknowledgement that this shit is not up to you, it's up to you to say yes or no based on your wisdom and intuition and connection to God and just hoping you're choosing the path of the highest good, right? And then it's just going to do what it's going to do, which is so good to hear right now because I have a very linear plan for the kid thing. (laughs) If it's going to unfold as I think it might, I'm like, cool. So we're going to move here, live here for this many months. We're going to get, you know, whatever. The bank balance is going to be right here. We're going to lock this in, lock this in. (laughs) Then we're going to have this incredible ceremony, get a doula, you know, the whole shit. You're going to eat this detox, saunas, you know, I mean, it is a big plan if I started to unfold it from that place of control and fear and non-trusting versus just going, okay, let's apply wisdom and discernment and know that like this shit's not up to us. And you're a part of a concert. You know, you're part of the orchestra. You're going to play your violin. She's going to play the cello. Whoever else is a part of that is going to play the the wind instruments. And that's all going to flow in harmony with a certain degree of doing being. Right, a certain degree of intention, surrender, all of that paradox back and forth is how you weave that tapestry together. You know, but I mean, all the things too. Like, I got your midwife; she's awesome, hundred percent organic, she's fucking flawless. 
you know, everything you need to know pre, preterm, how to get pregnant from a dietary standpoint, Nourishing Traditions, Book of Child and Baby Care, Dr. Thomas Cowan and Sally Fallon from Western A. Price Institute. Highly recommend that one. There's a lot of things where you're not doing it alone, you know? And, and so it's not as much of a rolling of the dice. <laughs> like, yeah, I picture this very black and white linear, like either I'm controlling the entire process and driving everyone crazy like her in, the, in that process or else just completely like, ah, whatever happens, happens, roll the dice and just end up with a totally jacked up situation. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is the polarity of, of the monkey mind, right? Yeah. You explore that gray area, yeah. you know, and yeah. then just flow with that. Yeah. That's wild, man. That that's uh, very very insightful. Thank you for that. All right, twelve thirty. Getting back into space and time here. Um, I don't really care how long the shows are because what needs to be said needs to be said. But I'm thinking about uh, interview later. Okay, I think we're good. Three D enough to sort this out. I think what I want to cover in the remaining time we have is the experience that you just emerged from with the. Bufo Alvarius toad, this uh, bizarre creature that creation has <laughs> delivered here on the earth plane for us. And we just unpacked a bit of, of my experience and a little bit of yours before we started. And um, I don't know if this episode or the one I did here with Aubrey is going to come out first, but that episode was basically like uh, my integration and he was just kind of assisting me in the integration and we shared some insights, but it really was like a pretty detailed account of the whole experience. So I'll leave my story for that. But what you started to describe to me sounded incredibly intense and otherworldly. So maybe if you could give us kind of the, um, the background of what this particular molecule is, your prior you know, uh, breadth of experience with it and what happened in this one and how you're sort of integrating that at this stage. Yeah, phenomenal, brother. This is awesome because I was, I was, I'm finally in a place where I can talk about it. Right. Um, right. <laughs> if we would have recorded last week, it could have been a completely different situation, right? Yeah, I'm not, I don't think I would have had the mental capacity to speak about it with any degree of clarity. And, the, you know, and I'll, as I'll dive into this, I really wasn't sleeping for two weeks after. Um, but, you know, 5-MeO-DMT is the molecule amongst others in the Sonoran Desert Toad. And it's about 15 to 20% of the secretion that comes out of this toad that is that. There's bufotenine, there's some other things, and it's vaporized. And, you know, from a, from a molecular standpoint, one of the differentiations between that and, and NDMT, which we produce when we sleep, we produce at death, we, it's in, you know, just about every plant on the planet at varying degrees, is the fact that NNDMT can create this otherworldly interdimensional travel, whereas 5-MeO is a dissolving into unity, most typically. That can look like a total whiteout, a total blackout. At high enough doses, what they would consider a uh, threshold dose or a death dose, ego death is a full dissolve of the, uh, not prefrontal cortex, default mode network. So when the default mode network goes down completely, there's no memory of what happens in that space. On the backside of that, as you start to reform self, then you can have an experience. And I've had probably, you know, I'd say 15 solid doses in the, in the 80 milligram and up range that were incredible, but I haven't had the threshold dose. This was the first time that I'd done that, you know, and, and in preparation for that, um, 
experience, had my first two combo experiences. So I came in really cleaned out mentally, physically, emotionally, astrally, whatever that, you know, like the energetic body as well as the physical body was, was really pure for that. And this ended up being about hundred milligrams, which is a big dose. The, the practitioner we worked with an initiation dose would be about 125. Now a lot, anybody who has experience, to people who don't have experience, these numbers don't mean shit. To people who have experience, most people typically don't work with it in that way. They say, if you go too far, you don't remember, or you can have troubling experiences. And so you don't want to work with it that way because there's no downloads there. Their understanding, uh, and this is the Siri tribe out of you know, uh, the Sonoran Desert in Mexico. This is the tribe where you cultivate this medicine from. So this is like the Shipibo equivalent in Mexico for the toad. Um, they say, you know, this isn't always how they work with it, but for the initiation, this is what they do. And there's benefit to that, even from a science perspective, when you have the complete uh, shutdown of that part of the brain, you get much more neurogenesis and much more cross flow between the left and right brain hemispheres. So there's hardware benefit as well as software benefit. And I was like, cool, sign me up. So we went with less than 125 because I was fresh off a combo. Um, I'm always nervous for this, no different than ayahuasca or psilocybin, but I was able to slow my heart rate down. So when I took in uh, the one and done, I was able to hold for a really long time. And we did it standing. I had a trust fall into the practitioner's arms. And apparently I stopped breathing for a minute, you know, and at that point they go in at a very high dose to bridge you back to your body. So they do this. And there's a portion where I had a ramp up. There's a portion where I forgot total loss. And there's a portion where I started to track on the backside. When I started to track on the backside, uh, I had uh, the practitioners, there was four of them. I had a practitioner's hand on my heart saying, that's it, that's it, just breathe, just breathe. And then I heard, um, you know, crack pipes jingling in the background for the meditative dose that they take to tune into you. I heard the torch, click, click. And then I heard a purge from one of the, one of the guides purging on my behalf because that happens in the energy space or can happen in the energy space. Repeat, that's it, that's it. Just breathe, just breathe. Click, click from the glass. What purge. That's it. That's it. Just breathe. Just breathe on fucking loop. Now I had experienced this oh on the backside of the 30 grams of penis envy where I saw this wormhole come out and it was pitch black and it lands on my lap and I'm calling it in like, come here, little buddy. It's okay. I had a mandala that spun out as darkness. And I looked in it and I was like, what are you? And it, there was like a ring around it, like a glass like the outside of a glass full of water. And I realized what's separating this dimension from the rest of the room. And I was like, oh, you're the darkness. Can I go in there? And the answer was yes. And I'd learned that from, you know, listening to a lot of different practitioners like DMT, the DMT Dialogues, fantastic book with Rupert Seldrake, Graham Hancock, Dennis McKenna, Strassman, a lot of the legends in the space. And they all say like, when you come across the darkness, don't shy away from it. It's there to teach you something, right? So here I am presented. I say, yes, I go in. And I experienced infinite levels of hell, five layers that I wrote about. I've talked about on other podcasts, but I only got through a layer with complete and total surrender in the 30 gram experience. It repeated itself over and over again. It went from very conscious fears that I have to very unconscious fears that lie deep in the cracks of my being. Until by the end, the fifth layer was just shit I don't like in real life, like the sound of a refrigerator buzzing by my head 
Like it literally felt like it was right, like I was sleeping next to one. So I rolled away from that flashlight in my eyes. Oh, I don't like that. Felt a knife in my side where I've had back pain. Oh, I don't like that. And it was just showing me this over and over again until I finally fucking, I was like, all right. You know, and because it was looping and slower with 30 grams, I would recognize the loop at some point. And eventually I'd just start calling it like Bob Costas, like, oh, yep. And then she's going to explode. And then the earth ends and then fucking consciousness ends and it's all my fault. And there's blame similar to how you experienced, you know, in one of your visions, like the, you know, just the shaking of the head from Tosh and everyone that I love and care about. Like, yep, you did it. You fucking fractured your psyche. You're fucked now for eternity. You know, like everyone I know and love, just like prayer hands, like, I'm so sorry this happened to you. We told you not to do it. You know, like over and over and over again. And uh, it was only when I fucking did, I was like, yep, Parangi's coming in now. And then, and Gunter's going to say it. And then it would come, it would become a joke. Then I would go to the next level. And I'd experienced that for four or five times or some innumerable number. And I'd be like, oh, I'm in a new place, but it's still hell. And this is going to happen next. Right. And so when I talked to Duncan Trussell about this, he mentioned Dante's Inferno. And one of the first lines is, uh, abandon all hope ye who enter here. And I always took that as you're fucked if you go to hell, but no, that's the key code out. Abandon all hope. Ye who enter here is the way out. That's your fucking key out of hell is to literally not give a shit. You give up hope of it ever changing. You don't cling to the end. You simply allow. And so that was easier to do in 30 grams. And of course, I didn't know this till after the fact. I had to wrestle my way through it. But in the 5-MEO space, once this loop started, I fully recognized it as, holy shit. Now, to put perspective in, in every ceremony I've ever had with the Sonoran Desert Toad has been pure love, pure divine union, like dissolving into source. You feel like you're inside a star. I mean, and just like every cell of my body physical and etheric vibrating with the frequency of love. And so for this experience to come up, I was like, what? I felt fucking tricked. You know, like were all those experiences just to get me to the point where I realize I'm in hell? You know, like there's a Twilight episode Rogan talks about where this guy goes in and uh, to a casino and he starts rolling craps and he can't, he can't lose. He's rolling nothing but 7-Elevens and all these beautiful women come to his side and he's buying drinks and he's getting drunk and and uh, everyone loves him and he's, you know, he's able to have whatever he wants. And uh, over time, he starts to get depressed and he calls the pit boss over and he's like, something's wrong. And he's like, well, man, you're doing the best you've ever had. You're blah, blah, blah. You got all this money. You got all these ladies. What's the matter? And he's like, I can't lose. This isn't fun. This doesn't feel like heaven. And he said, who said you're in heaven? Right? And then that's how it ends, right? He's like, no! You realize like that without the challenge, without that, like, what, what the fuck? Where do you think you are right now? You know? And so <laughs> there's this, there was this feeling of deception and being duped. And that's a common trip report if somebody has a fucking gnarly experience to feel that way. Um, but this manifests, it changes and shifts from that loop to deeper layers of consciousness. One of the realms I experienced on 30 grams was that, um, this is, you know, my creation. It's, it's, it's through the egoic self. Like, not that we all created this and we're all one, but you are one and everything is a fucking figment of your imagination. And you are so alone as the only being, you can't handle being alone. 
and it inverted everything. So, you know, we talk about paradox, but any spiritual teaching I had was flipped on its head. So the idea that we elect to forget when we incarnate so we can travel through life and remember our own divinity as like the beautiful awakening process was inverted. It was like, no, bitch, you forget because it's too painful, this level of sorrow and aloneness that you have to fucking deal with. It's unbearable. You forget because that brings you joy. It's the only way you can experience the light. It was the ultimate darkness. And I spent, and you know, whole experiences under an hour, but at that point, there is no such thing as time. You know, so I don't know how many times my consciousness looped through this, but um, and I could go on and on about the experience, but eventually I fucking come out of this and I'm like, holy shit, you know, and they're like all, you know, smiling, like, you know, I moved around a little bit, but then I was like a Zen master and they're like, how was it? And I'm like, this is fucking it's eternal hell. It was the word, word I don't want to, I know worst isn't the wrong word, but it's the first word, unbearable, but I bared it. Like it fucking sucked. And, um, you know, he's like, but just eat a good meal, go home. Reactivations can happen when you're sleeping or meditating. It's not going to happen while you're driving. This is after the toad. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I eat 49ers are on. I'm like, cool. 3d reality memories. I grew up watching them in the Bay area. Awesome. Make it home. Just fine. Um, feel good. Go to lay down. My hands and feet start buzzing. And I'm like, huh, should I throw music on? Like, I feel like I'm kind of still in it now. And, and, uh, I was like, no, no, I'm just going to meditate. So I meditate every time, either at the, as I'm about to fall asleep or right on the backside of falling asleep, I fucking feel like I'm holding in that first hit. Like I fully fucking feel it. Full vibrations through the body, fractal light starting. And I'm, and I know what's on the other side. And I'm like, no. And I just fucking jerk up in my bed, like <gasps> hearts just pounding, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And I mean, it was, it was really, really hard. And I should say I had a second, a second hit when I was coming out of it in the experience. And, um, because that's typically how they do it. It helps you process, you know? And I was like, I knew I was going to say yes prior to that. So I, I, he asked me how I'm doing. I'm like, I'm fucked. And he's like, well, this will help you process. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm ready. So I take the second hit. And what happened was once I took the second hit, it brought me right back to the beginning of the hell loop. So now I thought that, oh, how perfect hell is to let me think I'm going to come out of this. But knowing my constitution and what's been ingrained in me, I will infinitely, I'm going to say yes for eternity to going back into this fucking loop. Every time I come out and think I'm out, I'm going to say yes. I'm never going to change my answer and I'll always fucking go back to this place. That's what I grappled with the second round. And uh, just brutal. But now I'm, at, I'm in bed. I can't sleep. It's happening every fucking 15 minutes. I'm timing it like Tasha's contractions. 30 minutes, hour. Finally, uh, you know, I, I, I'm like, I've got my like, God, I need to be grounded. I don't surrender at all to having this experience solo. I, I, I surrender to not sleeping tonight, but I don't surrender to going back through this. And uh, I asked God to ground me. And five minutes later, Bear comes running in and he's like, I'm scared. And I'm like, so am I. And I just fucking snuggle him and meditate with him. And, and I'm able to hold resonance. But for 16 days, I had trouble sleeping. And eventually I got to a point where some nights I was able to surrender. And I went into new dimensions of hell, new dimensions of fear. Like this is all, this isn't God knowing itself. This is super intelligent AI knowing itself that we've already pre-approached that 
and that fucking super intelligent AI has created the whole thing. Like any, any fucking fear and it would morph into fucking other fears that I'm completely unaware of in my consciousness and I would live that experience. And ultimately, because of the lack of sleep and everything, it started blurring the lines between my waking consciousness and my sleep. And it was very hard to track. Like I'm having a conversation with Bear and it's like in the back of my head, I'm like, of course you'd say that. You're, you're, I'm still in hell and you're fucking going to say whatever you can to fuck with me. Not like you're five years old. You, you, I was exactly like you when I was a kid and fucking likely every generation prior and how I hold that space with you. And I, I didn't make any mistakes. I just froze like fight, flight, or freeze. I didn't lash out at anybody. I just froze and Tosh could feel that like, dude what the fuck's going on, you know? And finally, she's like, I think you need to call Paul Check. And Paul's, you know, been, he's been on my show seven or eight times. Brilliant dude. Um, 59 years old. One of the only people I know who is probably the best living example of a psychonaut that's gone as deep or deeper than I have. Uh, a family man, a businessman, somebody who checks damn near every fucking box as a spiritual teacher that hasn't moved into the... You know, I'm now a fat spiritual teacher, but I'm, I'm still take care of myself. My body is my fucking um, temple. And he lives that every day, you know, and I've, I've been able to sit with him in the past. So we have rapport, but, you know, I told him where I was at. I asked him for a call. Christmas Eve comes. I think we're going to talk for 20 minutes. We talk for two hours. He's like, did you close the ceremony? I'm like, no. It's like, okay, you're going to get saged. You're going to take a bath with 12 drops of frankincense. And in the bath, you're going to state to God everything you've learned from the darkness, what it felt like, what the lens was, and what you're going to use with those teachings going forward on how to live. And you're going to ask the soul as the intermediary to bridge what God's showing you in your sleep in these visions to your psyche so that Kyle Kingsbury understands it. And you're going to ask humbly that it comes through your dreams. That way you can actually sleep. So I do all this. Christmas Eve, I go to bed and I have the most psychedelic fucking dreams ever, but there's no fear. It's not even a nightmare. They're beautiful. I record one. Uh, that was like an eight minute recording. Um, I, I, compl- I can't even remember it right now, but, um, and then I hear this voice and it's, it's funny because the compass of the darkness, it really, because of the inversion and what I mean by that, it's truly unexplainable, but any positive thought I would have as a holding, it would be inverted immediately into a negative one. It would just show me the opposite. And I explained this to Paul and he's like, well, that's because God at the highest level is nothing but paradox. And we talked about that. That's why the Tao cannot be spoken. The second, I was like, oh, that's a cute way to put it. And it's like, no, 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 literally you can't speak the Tao because the second you label it one thing, it's the opposite is true as well. It's fucking everything. It's everything. It is. That's, that's, that's where we move back to observer, right? And my psyche can't fucking handle that knowing even though it's a part of it and it is it. So again, how do we track 3D reality? We have to have boundaries. We're not boundaryless all the time. Certainly not in this space. There's a lot of stuff we went over, but um, you know, he got me back in there. And uh, after this dream, I recorded it and I heard this voice come up. Which is, that was like, go to the bathroom, drink water, and then throw a snooze in, throw some tobacco in. It's like, interesting, but I might not sleep. And, and I'm like, is this the ego saying it or the high self? And I've like fucking all the overanalyzed the fuck out of it. And finally, I just listen. I go to the bathroom. I drink some water, throw a snooze in and I lay down and I have the most brilliant short dream. 
of my wife, which totally explains to me what I've been tracking, everything I've been trying to learn about God or trying to learn about the game we're in or fucking any of it, viscerally, I see my wife and I see her as the divine mother. And the, the, what she says to me is, I've, I created you. I created the great father. And I'm like, okay. And what is that? She said, that is the external. That is the game. That is the matrix. And I was like, wow. So like mother God creates father God. And I say, well, what do I do? She says, you're the son. Be a man. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? You know, play the game you're in as the divine masculine embodiment. Play the game. You fucking chose it. So play the game. You know, it was so, it was so simple. And uh, maybe it doesn't resonate with anybody at all listening to this, but from where I was at mentally in wanting to understand consciousness for fucking years, wanting to understand why are we here? Why do we fucking hurt each other? Why, 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 why? Like a little kid, you know, so many whys um, to the point where I've wanted to check out and numb or to the point where I wanted to kill myself or to the point where I play the game, but I do so, you know, in a self-organized way, right? Where ego's steering the ship and, and is there, you know, like that was another teacher, like the, the Rumi quote, there's a field outside of right and wrong, just past good and bad. I'll meet you there. That's a tough pill to swallow if you really grab it. It ultimately means none of this shit fucking matters per se. It's only about experience. But if I bring it back to Kyle Kingsbury as a self that has that connection to the source, I get to choose. That's where we co-create. And to me right here, it does matter how I play the game. And I get to choose to live in love. I get to choose to be light for others. I get to choose to say, hey, that's fucking not cool. Let's change the game a little bit. There's a little too much control in the world. Boundaries are necessary, but let's take some of those off for a bit, right? Let's bring back harmony rather than control systems. And whatever that looks like in whatever way I can, to however many people are listening to you and me, you know, like that, that's where I just do my part. Dolores Cannon talked about that in the three waves of volunteers in a new earth. A lot of the people she was working with in past life regression and in, in working with the subconscious, they consistently had many, many things that, that overlaid people across gener, you know, 10 years, she's doing it for 30 years, different continents, many similarities. Different decades, many similarities. A lot of them felt like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing here, but I'm not doing it. And I don't know if it's big enough. It's always enough. If your influence is your boyfriend, that's the only person you have the ability to share that light and love with. That's it. If it's uh, you know people at a nursing home, if it's students that you teach, if it's people in your fucking one side of the cubicle in the office that you work in, whatever that is, when you're the light there, that influences. That's the tree that plants seeds, that plants other seeds, that plants other seeds, and that's the trickle effect, right? So all of that does matter on any fucking scale. It is felt throughout the all of consciousness. And so the reminder was, play the game. You're not going to solve the unknowable. And if you do get to solve the unknowable, maybe there's a reason why it's unknown. And that's okay too. You know, like leave the Tao as the Tao and play the game. Sitting here today, uh, do you feel fully embodied in the 3D now? And if so, in light of the <laughs> sometimes terrifying experience that you just went through, is there sitting here a part of you that's like, yeah, I'm going to sit with that medicine again? 
for the first time, I understood that. And I don't know if it's Ram Dass or Alan Watts, but when they say, when you get the call from God, hang up the phone. I used to laugh at that. I was like, yeah, these guys are just doing fucking acid or a little bit of mushrooms. They didn't have 30 grams. They didn't have ayahuasca. These are challenging experiences. You know, uh, getting turned side out physically where you're throwing up and you might poop your pants. That's not fun. You're not getting high, right? Now, Alan Watts said that to one of my, and I love Ram Dass, Becoming Nobody is one of my favorite books on Audible, series of his lectures in his 50s. But they talk about that, you know, like the, you're addicted to getting high. You're addicted to be, being with source and not being in the 3D. You've lost your humanity is what Alan Watts told them while they were drunk. And um, so when I heard, you know, you get the call from God, hang up the phone, I always thought like, that's, there's just more layers, you know, like that's like, there's more to learn. You know, Dennis McKenna's done hundreds of ayahuasca ceremonies and people have asked him like, when are you going to stop? And he says, when I stop learning something new, right? So I imagine at some point, I will circle back to a deeper level of medicine, which may be the Sonoran Desert Toad. It may be psilocybin or ayahuasca. Um, but if I start getting a repeat of that message, then I'll know to hang up the phone, right? Because I'll know like if there's nothing deeper than this or if I need more time to integrate it, you know, then I'm not, clearly not doing the work uh, necessary to continue on that path. And then I'll hang up the phone. But for now, uh, I don't imagine any time in the near in the next six months where I I go use any tool that can take me that far. Now, very much, I feel called to to play the game in three D reality. You know, as I chose it, as I chose to be in this timeline with the people that I'm connecting with, with every this fucking beacon of light that's coming out of Austin right now, drawing people towards it. And what better time? You know, Del Bigtree told me this. He's like, if you're a freedom fighter. If you have an inner warrior of light, if you have anything that responds when there is, uh, you know, and truthfully, not a social justice warrior, but fucking somebody who knows what time it is and is willing to stand up to injustice, what better time to be alive than right now? What better time? What, what fire that burns inside you isn't lit right now knowing here we do, here we go. We get to stand arm in arm and make sure that there isn't a fucking global one world government that controls everybody, right? That we do protect whatever freedoms we have left, that we stand up for freedom of speech, that we stand up for the right to bear arms, all the things that we need to have to prevent this from going down. This is a dope time to be alive. And, uh, you know, Rogan's talked about that before. Like if you lived a thousand years ago, seven generations prior, seven generations after, it looked pretty damn similar. Right? A thousand years before that, pretty similar. A thousand years before that, pretty similar. And here we are. We watched corded telephones go to fucking cell phone, go to the ridiculous Zach Morris handhelds and the, the car phone. And it's like, oh shit, technological age, uh, information age, like access to all these things. And then, oh yeah, now we're going to start to limit that and curate it and make it look a certain way. Whoa, wait a minute. This isn't where we were headed. What's going on? Right? So, like, how fascinating you know, and how much awe and like to step back from figuring it all out into the curiosity, into the great mystery and still know that the only thing that I need to do is what's right in front of me. Like Selig talks about the guy driving the truck. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here? Gets out of the truck because there's a log in the road, picks it up, moves it, gets back in. Why am I here? Why am I here? Why am I here to God? Not realizing every car behind him was able to drive smoothly because of him. It's the work of the day is the work that's right in front of you. And it's how you show up to that work and, and uh, you know, chop wood, carry water. That's, it's, it's as simple as that. But to do it in a way 
with reverence, with respect, and with the great mystery in mind. That's badass. Wow. An incredible journey. It's wild, dude. I admire your courage and stick-to-itiveness. That's a lot. I think a lot of people say no to that. <laughs> you know, it takes a certain fortitude of, of spirit to really walk into the eye of the storm like that. You know, it's incredible. It's incredible to participate in and observe. And in that, uh, in that um, examination of what we're experiencing now, where our God-given rights are truly being threatened, our right to sovereignty, freedom of expression, freedom of movement, right? Freedom over our own bodies and what goes into it and what doesn't. It's as if, I think if one, you know, people can do what they want. It's all like karmic opportunities, right? But if one acquiesces to that without thinking critically, without standing up for themselves, um, it really is kind of a slap in the face of one of our great greatest gifts, which is the individuality of who we are and being born as sovereign wild humans, right? God give us this gift of perspective and embodiment. And for us to just acquiesce to being controlled and having that robbed from us without giving up a fight is a real, is a real karmic test. There's, there's something that we're being asked to step into and, and step up to right now. And as I was talking about the, the humiliation I feel when I walk into Whole Foods and I know that I'm, I'm breaking a law of reality by submitting to wearing a, a germ-filled diaper on my face, there's just something inside me that's like, no. Yet, there's also an observer like, you're just playing the dumb game that everyone's playing, like chill. And then I do it. But I still, it's hard for me to accept because I think it's that piece. It's like, I'm going... Well, God, I don't know. I don't want to be the one everyone laughs at or the one that's deplatformed or whatever, you know? And then you look at a guy like David Icke, who I've been following his stuff. I mean, not that I've bought into 100% of his theories or whatever over the years, but I've, I haven't negated them either. Like you said, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You look at a guy like that 30 years ago was describing in grave detail what's happening right now. Aldous Huxley, Brave New World. Right. George Orwell, 1984, to the fucking T. In fact, Brave New World starts out with one possible future of what the powers that be would like, where they have 100% control over reproduction. And all humans of the slave race are made in fucking labs. And they're predestined to what type of role they'll play. And they know enough about scientifically about how to shape the outcome of those babies. And you have 10,000 twins born at the same time genetically engineered you know like the, the, you listen to that book or read it and you're like oh this is this is this is very eerily similar to uh <laughs> some of the shit that, that we start even the clive owen movie where they couldn't have fucking kids anymore you know and yeah, it's like yeah. look around right now yeah, that was a great Fertility movie what was that clinic? called i forget uh, but- something of men or no children for men or something, something like, that. like that. Children of men. Yeah. I think it was, that was that for post-apocalyptic films. That was a great movie. Phenomenal. I love that genre. Yeah. And Clive Owen's dope, but the, uh, the writing's been on the wall and that's what makes it weird in the sense that like, it's so available. V for Vendetta. You watch that right now and you're like, and of course these is the, <laughs> the Wachowskis who did the matrix, you know, like that's who wrote V for Vendetta. And it's so spot on. Like they got the curfews. It's in England. 
uh, cameras on every fucking streetlight. They're not allowed out. Uh, the strictest dictatorship and totalitarian control and technology, technocracy being used to make this a reality. And meanwhile, in the United States, the United States is still at civil war, right? So like, who knows if that prophecy comes true, right? I know fucking no one in Texas is laying down for this. Um, But at the same time, you know, like, do we really want civil war? Is there another way? But when V gets on the microphone from the one media station that exists and takes over all the TVs and all the radios, he says, you will ask yourself, how did this come to be? Who brought this upon me? Who is to blame for this? He said, take a hard look in the mirror. It is the acquiescence. It is the turning away. It is the not looking at the thing. It's putting your head in the sand like an ostrich and saying, I don't want to hear it. It's the cognitive dissonance of what truly is going on in the world that the Joey Pantaleone in The Matrix, why did you take the red pill? I want to eat this steak and know that it's a steak and not wonder if the computer algorithm got it right or not, right? It's wanting to go back to ignorance is bliss. It's every fucking person that says, well, I'll just take this shot and then we'll go back to the new norm. We'll go back to the normal. We'll, we'll get things back to the way it was. You know, fantasy land. There's no going back. <laughs> we're, we're here now. There's no going back. <laughs> I know every couple of days I see another airline gets on board with the COVID passport and shit. And I'm just like, I got to get to Texas quick. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I ain't flying anywhere. Get ready for some long ass road trips just to hit the border of the state I live in because it ain't happening. You know, that's, but see, it's like a, it's a, um, it's a stepping stone, the totalitarian tiptoe, right? And it's almost like a spiritual agreement. And I think that's the thing when I put on a mask and go in a place because I want something, I'm willing to sacrifice what I know to be true and right. And it's almost a saying yes to the next tiptoe of that. And I think that's what pisses me off about it because I'm like, Luke, you're, you're like inviting the Grim Reaper inside because you're like, okay, I'll do this. Mm. You know what I mean? And there's a, there's a real war inside me around that. Um, and well, as I said, and then there's also the part that's like, Luke, this is all a game, right? This is all just duality. It's, it's beautiful. It's precious. It's all God. So just play the duality game. Who cares? Like you're actually above and beyond that. So it's, I don't know what the answer. It's like either I have to just accept that part of it or it's a hard no to all of this. And I just have the most steadfast integrity and I order everything delivered. And I will, I refuse to go on an airplane or anywhere that requires me to accept a lie, knowingly knowing that it's a lie. Yeah, medical exemptions might be the next step if you've got a cool doctor, things like that. Um, you know, eventually it's building out systems that improve sovereignty, right? So it's not just decentralized, it's centralized locally. It's, it's, it's how do we have local things come together where we build a community that is sovereign. You know, and that's, I had Joyous Hart on the podcast. I don't know if you've met I him I met yet. him at Aubrey's he's a couple fucking, nights he's ago. He's phenomenal. Uh, he's Dude, been I tracking walked, this yeah, I walked up to, he, he was having a conversation with Allison and I just, there was a punctuation point and I dipped in and, and listened to him. And I was just like, uh, what? <laughs> Who, who's this dude? And I was just, you know, two minutes. I was like, we got we got to talk. And I saw he was on your podcast. Yeah. You, I'm going to listen to check, that. Yeah. Check it out and have him on, dude. He's <laughs> yeah, special. He was blowing my mind. Yeah. He's got a lot there. Um, but building a, a community where you have your own water, you have your own food, you're doing regenerative agriculture to restore the land. Uh, he's homies with David Avocado Wolf, who definitely knows what time it is and has worked with Texas already. You could do th- three acres 
of uh, greenhouses. You can grow anything year round. You can grow ayahuasca. You can grow literally anything you want year round and produce enough for not just the hundred families that live there, but all surrounding cities and have farmers markets and make it wealth generating and still inclusive. So you're on grid, but not dependent of the grid. You're producing your own power, your own everything. I mean, he, this is what he's been working on for ten plus years. And you know, him and his wife had the download to come here. No medicine, January first. You know, they they were like, "Oh shit's gonna pop off in March. We need to move here." And they moved from California. They've been homies with Mickey Willis, and it's like this odd orchestra starting to fucking gear up, you know, and it's gearing up, and I and yeah. I I see that happening, and it's it's a beautiful thing, and um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot. I, I think the if, if we only focus on the negative, we only focus on the shit that's wrong, we don't at least, and it, including the light and the beauty, right? Like whatever that is that's outside of us or way out far from small self, it has to be tracked back down to small self. What is the next step? How does that, how does that change the way that I operate right now? And I don't know necessarily that like, I'm not taking a stand and not wearing my mask at Whole Foods. But if I'm downtown Austin, there's going to be a lot more fucking weirdos that look at my son and say, why doesn't he have a mask on? And that's where I have to be like, mm, there's a boundary here. But I go outside of town where it's a little less progressive and a little less indoctrinated and nobody gives a fuck that I'm he doesn't have his progressive, mask on. I'm calling this version of progressive that we're seeing unfold regressive. <laughs> it actually is regressive. We've already done this, guys. Like, yeah how many regimes have come in with these same ideas and failed and not only failed, brought down literally hundreds of thousands of human life forms with it. You know, it's just incredibly how myopic and have you short-sighted. Have you, have you seen are. that megalithic structure that went into, I think it's in Georgia or Utah. Utah. Be, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the, Utah. The, yeah the, and it's in 12 different languages, the most, prolific languages spoken today, but also Sanskrit, many of the ancient languages. Are you talking about the silver obelisk thing that appeared in the middle of Utah or whatever? And it's like, in the first line says, keep humanity's numbers at 500 million in right oh, relation Oh, you're talking Earth. about the, uh, the something stones. Uh-huh. Uh, the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, interesting yeah. to see that, that number. That, there was a mystery like chrome obelisk huh. uh, last month that showed up in the middle of nowhere in Utah. And then disappeared and then appeared somewhere else. Different thing. You're talking about those guide stones, I uh-huh. think maybe they're called in Georgia. Yeah. What's the deal with that? Well, I only know the first line. It's keep humanity at 500 million, the population at 500 million or less in right relation with the earth. And so I don't know, you know, I, I can't begin to know how this thing plays out, but it is possible that a very large number of people acquiesce and see themselves off the game board. And, you know, the Hopi prophecy talks about that. Will Tegel has it repainted, but there's seven beings on this top line with their heads disconnected from their body that go on a trajectory that leaves the sacred hoop or the earth. And then there's four with their heads connected to their body, feet connected to the earth that usher in the fifth stage of human consciousness. And, you know, I asked like, how, how important is this right now? In my head, I asked this, like, do I need to tell this to my kids or my grandkids? How important is this right now? And the wind almost blew us over. It hit that hard instantly. It wasn't windy at all. And I was like, okay. I mean, floodgates opened. And I talked to Will about that experience. And he's like, it's right now. We're in this right now. And it, you know, it doesn't look necessarily how we've perceived it to be. And, it, and, and we'll only know when we come out of it. But that's where we're at. You know, the big change, the great awakening. We're in it. 
I was expecting the big change to be giant rainbows with like unicorns sliding down <laughs> you know, with pots of gold spilling into my with house. Free energy you know? technology. Yeah, is so yeah. I was like, you know, yeah, totally, man. You know, uh, teleportation, all that. It's like, really? This is the new earth? Okay. But that's a, that's a great perspective. And I think uh, a really solid place to end a deeply beautiful conversation. During the course of this, and I'll probably allude to this in the intro, I'm just going, wow, what a gift to be able to be where I am in my life right now and have the ability to connect with people like you and, and have these kind of communications. These exchanges are just so meaningful. It's like every one I do just takes me deeper and deeper into my knowingness and, um, and into love. It's just, it's incredible. And to the, the sweet icing on the cake is really that some people are going to get to listen to this and probably a bunch of them have already tuned out at two hours. Like, what the fuck are these guys talking about? <laughs> or what, a, you know, what a couple of dumbasses or whatever. And it totally doesn't matter. But the ones that are still here right now at, at 219.14, uh, they're the ones that are going with us. You know, not that those are better than other, but it's just an incredible ship to be on right now at this time. Wow. Wow. What a time, dude. What a time to be incarnated and what a time to be able to access these touch points of reality in the way that uh, guys like us are. I'm just like, every one of these talks makes me experience just such deep gratitude. Mm. It's incredible. It's like, whoa. This is what we get to do right now. And thousands and thousands of people get to participate at whatever level they feel called to participate. Energetically joining in, being mm-hmm. in the space with us. Uh, incredible, incredible experience. And uh, I'm so excited to get myself and my life out here and be able to spend more time with you and the amazing squad of people out here. It is truly, truly incredible. Something so special is happening and you know, don't everyone else come though. <laughs> There's already a little too much traffic here for my taste. No, I'm just kidding. I know people, so I like I'll post something from Austin and then it's inevitable that a couple Texans are going to be like, yeah, you Californians don't bring the this with you and the that with you. I'm like, dude, no one from California is even from California. Starters. I may even know one person born there out of 32 years in LA or something. But we ain't going to do that. We're bringing the best of the best, you know, and anywhere that I go, I want to bring my best self and uh, as much um, generosity of spirit as possible. So it's been so nice to be so well received here and just looking forward to like, wow, kind of magic that's going to unfold. Big time, brother. So thank you. And thank you for the inspiration on fatherhood, dude. It means a lot to me. It's a, whew, it's a, um, a bit of a, um, minefield you know for me to go into and you really help me contextualize it and the takeaway there is just surrender man you're not in control of this shit you're a volunteer and a participant um so thank you for that beautiful brother thank yep. you yeah see you next time oh yeah well as promised that was a wild ass conversation with my friend kyle if you made it to the end congratulations uh what a journey it was not only for he but for us as well This Sunday, we've got a bonus rebroadcast episode. It's called Connection is the Opposite of Addiction. And that is my recent appearance on the Mind Body Mentor podcast recorded a couple months ago in Sedona, Arizona. So make sure to catch that. Then next Tuesday, we'll be back with Stem Cell Healing Miracles and Ketamine Therapy with Dr. Joy Kong, number 335. 
If you're enjoying these episodes, as I hope you are if you made it this far, please always remember to share it with a couple friends. It's really easy on most apps to text or email or even post to social media the episodes that you are enjoying specifically. You know, I remember back in the day when I started this podcast as a former and uh, continuing fan of other podcasts, it was really difficult to share specific episodes. You would try to share a podcast with someone and it would just send people to the general feed, not specific episodes. So we've come a long way and surprisingly it took longer than it should have, but here we are. And uh, if you dig on the Lifestylist podcast episodes and one really touches you, it would mean a lot to me and of course our guests and even sponsors if you'd be willing to share those. It's an easy and free way to share the love and uh, hopefully enlightened humankind along the way. Speaking of enlightenment, we've got three amazing sponsors and you can find all of our sponsors all the time at lukestory.com slash store where I have collected all of my favorite goodies that I've discovered over the years, all things health and biohacking, fitness, sleep, uh, red light therapy, all the things, you know what I'm saying? If you're into health, you're going to find it at lukestory.com slash store. It's also a great way to support the mission here and help me to pay the team and keep food on the table. As uh, in most cases, I get a small commission from sales made through my website. What's great for you is you don't have to figure out the best stuff because I already did it for you. What's even better is you're going to get discounts like these. Uh, Talk about Just Thrive. Just Thrive makes some great probiotics and a number of other products. You can save 15% off on Just Thrive on my website. You can also find your Beekeepers Naturals products there. The most incredible bee products on the planet. I love these guys. And you can save yourself 15% off with the code LIFESTYLIST on my online store. And then we've got Kin Euphorics, the non-alcoholic cocktail company that infuses these non-alcoholic cocktails with some very effective and delicious herbs. Uh, So they have a blend if you want to calm down, one if you want to socialize and energize. Um, Think of it as the best in cocktails without the hangover and the possibility of becoming an alcoholic, because that can be a drag too. You can find Kin Euphorics at lukestory.com slash store. And uh, actually, you know what? No, why don't you do this? For Kin Euphorics, go to kinuphorics.com slash Luke. That's K-I-N. E-U-P-H-O-R-I-C-S, kinuphorics.com slash Luke. And if you go through that link, you'll automatically get 15% off and free shipping. So that's what's up this week, folks. Thank you so much for supporting the work here at the Lifestylist Podcast. It brings me great joy to be able to participate in the awakening. And uh, 2021 is off to a roaring start, (laughs) as we all know. And uh, somehow I am remaining hopeful and optimistic in all of this insanity. If we zoom out and step back and keep the faith that even as the consciousness of our peoples and those seemingly in control of said peoples uh, dips and ebbs and flows over the vast expanse of time, I do believe that if you put us on a graph, we are headed up. There's some dips in the middle there but we're gaining in our conscious awareness and, uh, and evolving into a more highly conscious group of beings. So thank you for helping me on my way there. <laughs>